You're listening to episode 78 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. All right, boys, here we go. Got our red trunks on. Let's get this started. (laughs) Action Comics 1000. And we just look weird without them, don't we? I always wear my red trunks when we record. Oh. <laughs> eight, 80, 80 episodes, eight, 800,000 issues, you know. For me, ever since the- uh, Red trunks. For ever since the 52nd episode, I've kind of just been going without them, you know, and I, it's kind of a return to form for me here this week. I like it. It feels good. Well, you told me, you told me the other day that you, uh, you really went for a more armored look. You know, to protect. Yeah, you know. you know, to protect the family jewels, but um, and it was more, it was more realistic. Yeah, is right. What, is what you told everyone. Yeah. All right, let me stop this right now. Um, this is this is not the way that we should be beginning our shows. <laughs> show ourselves to a higher standard. Um, it's never this bad, guys. Really, we we let we let Phil do a joke every week. <laughs> You're just not wearing the red trunks, then, Sean. Is that is that you're just Sean's Batman? Is that what's going on here? I never will wear them. I'm the alternate universe version of (laughs) Superman, who is black and trunksless. Uh, So we're gonna roll with that. Sean just free balls. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's the only way to roll. Um, So yes, we are going to be talking about Action Comics 1000, massive, massive release. Uh, Midtown Comics was flooded with people for the release of this book. That must have been miserable. It was uh, interesting. Did you um, was did they have a midnight release? I didn't go. If they did, I don't know that they did. Mm. Um, I I would never go for a comic book. I don't think I would go. I don't know that there's anything I would go for. You're such a release? grumpy old man, Kale. <laughs> <laughs> this is past my bedtime. So we're going to be talking about that, but also uh, we're going to be talking Avengers Infinity War. That movie is due out very soon from this recording. Uh, it's due out in what? It'd be six days. Yeah, right around and, the corner. Um, yeah, I, it's it's amazing that it's upon us. So we're going to be talking about that and just kind of, you know, what we think is going to happen, our predictions um, but also what what's led us to this point and how we feel about the 10 years of the Marvel uh, studio films. Uh, but we've got a lot to talk about before we get to that. And we're going to start the show with some reader mail because uh, some people are angry at us, guys. We've got we've got some some hatred. Does that does that mean we're making it? I think yes. so. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Of course, man. Yeah, I don't it's know like if it's worth it. Every other week, somebody writes in to say that we're SJWs, so I feel like we must be doing something right. Uh, <laughs> so we got a comment uh, from a Lord Nurgle over on episode seventy-four of the show uh, on YouTube, and um, man, he he had a impassioned speech that Sean has cut down to just the highlights here, uh, but we're gonna read and respond to it. So, uh, Lord Nurgle writes, and you didn't even get into the discussion, and I am already going to respond with saying you just swallowed up everything the BS BuzzFeed article spoon-fed you all. No one is demanding less diversity and less women in comics. People are just sick of the political preaching and being called Nazis, racists, and sexists just because they demand better quality writing and the creators to act professionally. 
Once more, idiots that lose the plot because they can't open their eyes and see reality. Also, like how you all acknowledged, oh, these people buy and read books. Well, if you're scared these people will run away and the industry will die, maybe not condemn them as straight as just straight white males and acknowledge what their complaints are instead of writing it off as, oh, they just hate diversity. The industry is dying because people want quality and they keep getting trash instead. That is all politically charged and alienating towards one side than the other. This industry is dying because your kind are doing the best to chase a phantom audience that does not buy things nor cares. If you all truly cared about this industry, then you wouldn't even be taking BuzzFeed seriously, especially since they were the same site that ran bogus Trump ran the bogus Trump dossier about him getting golden showers all made up by a damned 4chan troll. Now, with all that said, don't take my rant as being angry. I wish zero ill intent on you all, and it's just my opinion, and you all have a nice day. As I end my vids from my channel, fuck off, and thanks for all the fish. Lord Nurgle. Why would- don't say that part- <laughs> <laughs> Why did he say you people? Because, you know, like you say, like, because we're, we're yeah, SGWs, right? So, no, like, hold on. No, hold on, yeah. Pete. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> so, I, for one, am very uh, excited- to tackle this, <laughs> uh, and I have some I have some opinions. First of all, I want to say thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. Yeah, I do too. Um, mm, I don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so first of all, man, you gotta understand that you're coming from a place of um, always being in the majority, uh, and if and and you know. The people who feel the way you feel, even if maybe you're not necessarily in the majority, uh, are coming from that place. And so the alienation that you're talking about, um, that that either you're feeling or people are feeling who are fans of comics that are white, that and, and men, that alienation is something that everybody else has to live with all the time. Uh, so the fact that I get to enjoy comic books with characters who look like me shouldn't bother you the same way you would say that enjoying comic books with characters who look like you shouldn't bother me right isn't that always the argument well oh you can't why can't you relate to batman because he's not black that doesn't make any sense all right cool so how come you can't relate relate to luke cage right or how come you can't relate to miss marvel <clears throat> they should all all these characters have elements of humanity in them that people can relate to re regardless of whether you're a man or a woman or black or white or whatever. Uh, so if it really doesn't matter, then why does it bother you? Why are you writing this long-ass email or YouTube comment in this case if it doesn't matter, right? So uh, that's interesting to me. And then uh, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned that uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore the, the, the plight of white males, um, <laughs> and that we should acknowledge your complaints instead of writing it off as oh they just hate diversity that's what you said right okay cool so i agree with that actually i i agree with that wholeheartedly i think that you shouldn't you know you shouldn't just wave your hand at things and just think that they're going to go away the problem is that the approach that uh the individuals in question have taken is not good you know attacking people on twitter and you know forcing them off twitter forcing people off books um you know just these really vitriolic rants uh that that specifically target any you know any writer of comics any artist of comics 
who has a message that isn't directly tailored to you, that's quote-unquote political, that's not cool. And so if you want to have a discourse, that's not the way to do it. You know, I'm open to talking to anybody about anything, but not when you're going to just shit on people who are just trying to make a living saying things that matter to them. It's not about a political agenda. It's about this is what's important to me. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, you're accusing us of just waving our hands and saying, oh, well, you're just white males. But it go, again, it goes the other way. Um, you're presenting your argument in a way that is not, it's not, we cannot have a discourse about it because you're presenting your argument from a place of hate and that's not okay. So uh, the last thing I'm going to say about this is that if you want to be a part of helping the industry grow and not tearing it down, because we just did an episode about how this kind of thing is dangerous for the comic book industry. Uh, if you want to be a part of actually helping the industry grow, then you should stop doing things like this and talk about the real issues. Like, why do you have a problem with diversity in comics? Uh, you say it's not a problem of diversity in comics. You say it's a problem of political preaching. Uh, well, political preaching to you looks like Miss Marvel. It looks like Miles Morales. It looks like, you know, all that jazz. And to me, that looks like awesome storytelling, not just catered to one audience. And so if that's where we, you know, kind of lose each other, then I'm cool with that, man. And I'll see you on the other side. But if there is a way to have a discourse that can lead to positive influence and change, then that's what we should all be focused on, not just you. You seem like a decent person, although I don't like your opinions. Um, but everybody else who, you know, takes more extreme measures than this. So I appreciate the email. I appreciate the dialogue. I'll let the other guys respond. But that's what I have to say about it. I mean, I, I think that's really well said, man. Um, I, I do think that that's really I – don't, I don't feel like I have too much I can add to that. You know, I do think um, you're right that while I don't agree with um, what Lord Nurgle is saying here, I think um, – I appreciate that it seems that he at least tried to come from a place of wanting to have a dialogue, even though he did get a little aggressive at times, but we all have in, you know, a, a, an angry YouTube comment. So, um, yeah, I mean, my hope is that instead of writing us off and trying to lump us in and say, well, you guys are pushing this narrative and like, listen to what Sean's saying here and maybe, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle. Just type the word because, you know? <laughs> um, you use the abbreviation BC and that stands for a couple of different things in the comics industry and like you type the word dossier why couldn't you type <laughs> why couldn't you type why not because uh, yeah I don't have much more to add um, I think like the the biggest I, I feel like my biggest point in, when talking about this specifically is allowing other people with different perspectives and different views and different opinions to come and write and to tell a story only adds and that is only ever a good thing because then other people see this and are influenced and ingest this and then create their own stuff with a blend of different kind of things which again just ultimately leads to more art and that's something that in this industry we want um that's it yeah uh <clears throat> I think uh, I think everybody has has made themselves clear on this issue. Um, feel free to write back if you want. You know we can continue the dialogue. Um, 
But yeah, we're going to move on because we talk about this stuff a lot. Which goes to show you that comic books are political. And they've always been political and always will be. And we're not going to stop it. <laughs> Anybody who says comic books are not political does not know much about comic book history. Uh, all right. So we've got another one here from our pal Harris, a uh, regular writer into the show. Uh, usually hits us over on YouTube, but he wrote in uh, to the comicspals at gmail.com, just like you can, this week with an email. And uh, so he writes in and says... All right, I have questions here and even a random one. What do you guys think of Taika Watiti? That's how you say it, right? Watiti? Yeah. Uh, Taika Watiti. Yeah. Yeah. Taika Watiti tackling a live action Akira uh, adaption. Uh, do you think he is the right person for the job? Also, do you agree with his approach of using the materials from the graphic novel versus the original film? Mark, why don't you start this one? Uh, I'll address the second question first, uh, where even the film took elements from the graphic novel, but just because of the length of the series itself, I think it's like across six, 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 is it? Yeah. Six volumes. Like it's just a lot to condense and to fit into a story, especially like, I think the movie itself was like almost two and a half hours, two hours. Like, yeah, it's pretty long. You can't, you can't, that's pretty long and you can't condense that whole story into something like that. So, I would much rather see it as an like more an extrapolation of whatever the ideas were and then applied to film because there's just a lot unless you're going to make it sort of an episodic thing like a series or, or if you're going to make it like a TV show like that would be a lot way better I think just for the integrity of this of the story with regard to Taika Waititi directing no he I feel he doesn't have and I've only seen the two films he's done or like the two films that his big films and like uh, I don't know I, I I don't see it sure he especially with something like Thor he recently had like a lot of success within that sort of space realm but Akira is post-apocalyptic it is cyberpunk it's a much different style which I don't know if he can capture it's very much drawing oh, like sure it has uh the flare and like the the lights of things but it's an, in a very dark place the mood is different it's grittier um it's intense and i don't know that he, uh from a di- directorial standpoint if he can capture that necessarily yeah it's interesting because like we've only seen him like he doesn't have a huge breadth of work yeah like a lot of his stuff is comedy but like that doesn't mean he can't do something that's serious. Like totally. But like, to your point, like we haven't really seen anything that proves that he necessarily has those chops. But I mean, like I don't know, man. Seeing because like before Thor, like he really hadn't done anything of that scale. You know, like his his other big thing was that uh, goofy vampire comedy, like trying to find it. Um, mockumentary. Well, and. and- just before that, he did the Hunt for the Wilder People, which is right. yeah, yeah, it's, that one. It's bigger than um, what we do in the shadows. Is is the name of that movie? Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Very funny. Very funny. It is. It is bigger. It like you know. It it like if you take what we do in the shadows and it's like in Wellington, uh, New Zealand. The um, Hunt for the Wilder People takes place on like a broader like New Zealand scale scale, whereas Thor Ragnarok is like, you know, way, way bigger. So I guess like that's kind of my point 
is like seeing yeah, that yeah, yeah. he really hasn't done much, but what he's done, every single thing has been different from the last thing, and it's been bigger in scale and and better executed every time. Mm-hmm. I, who knows? Like if he's really got a passion for the source material, you know, like if if he really fucking loves Akira and like you know it's his, it's something he's always wanted to bring to film or whatever, and he's got a vision for it. Like I don't know, he could do it, I guess, but uh, I. I I'm inclined to kind of agree with you, Marco, or it just seems like a weird pick, you know? Hey, Pete? Yeah. It's pronounced Akira. I knew you were going to fucking do that to me at some point. The first time I said it, I was like, is he going to correct me? Am I saying it wrong? <laughs> There's not a Japanese director around that can... Oh, 100%. No. 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 Like, uh, there's just, just, there aren't any in Hollywood or... No. Ooh, here's here's or a Japan. radical thought. What about Japan? <laughs> No. Like, I, I like Taika. I like Taika a lot, but... He's the man for the job. <laughs> all right, move on. Uh, all right, so here is the random question of the week! If you were given the task to shelve a major character for over a decade, who would you choose and why? This is open to all comics, regardless of company. This is a fun question. As, read the yeah. rest of his uh, read his whole oh you want his answer too answer. okay yeah. so he says I would choose Jean Grey no I am joking she has been killed and brought back way too many times I'm not <laughs> you better be <laughs> actually my choice would be Iron Man slash Tony Stark I believe aside from a movie franchise I doubt he would be sorely missed in the Marvel continuity as a whole I would love to see a story which caused his death where he can return years later Stark would be completely aware of how things move forward without him I think the years going on, going on by, and how the universe goes with no profound changes due to his death drives him close to madness and truly becoming a villain, which gives me a. All right, that's that. Leave him there. Okay. Leave him there. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna tackle his first question. Uh, if you were given the task to shelve a major character for over a decade, who would you choose and why? Anyone have an immediate answer to that? Just put Jean Grey right back on the shelf. You're a bastard. <laughs> how could you do that to our boy here? <laughs> Oh, not not with any difficulty. <laughs> Monster. That's cool, man. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, I I do really like his uh, uh, Harris's pick of uh, Tony Stark, though. I think that is actually a really good answer. And I, uh, while I don't necessarily agree with the the part of um, I think the years going uh. Uh, what Harris says about the years going on um, and how the universe goes on with no profound changes due to his death. Yeah, I don't think that would be true. It would be the thing. Oh, I see. I don't, it doesn't, I don't know. That To me, that doesn't quite track with Tony Stark, but I do I do like Harris's logic there. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I also, I don't like that he says that Tony wouldn't be sorely missed. In, in the Marvel continuity as a whole, Tony Stark is one of the main characters of Marvel Comics. You can't remove him for 10 years and think he's not going to be missed. Yeah. Like he is now, right? Was he before? Well, we're talking about now, right? Like 10 was he was he this big 15 years ago? No, but he is now. Yeah, I mean, like he's, you know, we, we've talked about this on the show a couple times. I think like in the way that like Batman was that figure in the 90s for kids our age, like, you know, Captain America and Iron Man are that now. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do I do think his presence would definitely, it would it would have to shake things up, you know? 
Um, especially because over the last like 10 years or so, you know, his prominence has only gotten more and more important. I guess for me, for me specifically, like, especially with the reintroduction of the Fantastic Four and, uh, you know, characters like Riri Williams and, um, uh, Hank Pym and the thousands of other, you know, genius inventors in the, the Marvel universe, uh, I I feel I I do feel like the the world would just kind of go on, um, and I and and like I said, I agree with Harris that that's kind of the point that I think Tony would be like, yo, what the hell? I'm I'm like off that already. I'm trying to think of who's my pick, you know? Yeah, because I because yeah, I don't yeah. want to like my my honestly like my gut thought is Bruce Wayne. Mm. And because I think it would be really, really cool to actually see like the whole dick bats thing play out for like several years and like maybe, maybe 10 years is too long, but like for five years, for three years, like uh, a certain stretch of time where we actually saw the cow pass and like see how the DC universe reacts to Bruce's absence and there being a new Batman who operates in a totally different way. With a Robin who operates in a totally different way, um, right. is something that like it was a really cool idea and something that I think feels natural for the Bat family and for Batman as a character. That eventually, like, that's why he builds the family, right? Is so that there will be a generation after him, and uh, I think actually seeing him go away for a while and getting to see like Dick really like take over the role without Bruce's shadow would be cool. See, in that same vein, my answer was uh, the Joker going away for 10 years. That would be great. Oh, yeah. that would be the best. <laughs> Harley Quinn! <laughs> Fuck, I want that. I want that in but my like, life. But, but it would have been a thing of like, it would affect uh, uh, Batman and his like war on crime because like he doesn't have this crazy psychopath to like deal with now, right? And the whole thing would be the reason he builds up the Bat family is for his the eventual return of the Joker because like he's become enraptured by this like figure, this dark figure um, of whatever he is. And he comes back and he fucks shit up. Yeah, he would come back and it would actually give the Joker the gravitas. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was like kind of how it felt when he came back for um the whole what was what's the storyline I'm thinking of, Sean, with the with the face? That was during Snyder's run, right? Oh, oh the um, death of the family. Yeah, because that yeah, was the first yeah. time he had been back in like several years at that point, and it was kind of a big deal. But it wasn't like ten years, you know. Yeah, I don't think it was that long. It, it was like five or six years. It was a, it was a pretty big stretch of time since there had been like a major Joker storyline. It the last major Joker storyline before that was in Batman and Robin, uh, Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin, which was in uh, around two thousand and nine. And Death of the Family was around 2014, okay. 2013. Yeah, so it's so about that about, long. About, yeah, about five years. Yeah, I just I remember that had been a big a big thing because of that because it had been so there had been a bit of space for the character and like oh wow it produced you know the most exciting Joker story for a lot of Batman fans in a long time. So I feel like that's that's a really good pick, Marco. Yeah, it's a good arc. It's easy to get rid of a villain for a long time too. You know, like yeah, it's easier yeah. to be like, let's shelf this villain and just like, for you know, a while and just whatever. Yeah. Cause then when they come back, there's importance to it. Right. Right. 
a character, I don't know, a character like the Joker, though. But it'll it'll have an effect on the character, even though he's not there. Like, that's, and and that's, like, a a testament to, like, how great of a foil he is. But, like, but still, it it plays. This is sort of tangential to to the question, but to to Marco's point, uh, I've always thought it would be interesting to see the Joker sort of revert. So, like, you know how Grant Morrison sort of posits that every couple of years the Joker changes. I think it would be interesting to see the Joker go back to like his Caesar Romero personality oh, okay. or whatever, you know, like, like Adam West Silver Joker AG. or like, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be fun. I, I, th- I could see that being like a, an interesting rubber band for the character of like Batman's used to him being the Joker. We know now, you know, like the, the sociopathic killer. And then all of a sudden he's like more of like, a not magically, but like more like a Mr. Mixelplex kind of like figure where he's just like all of a sudden this like, yeah, yeah insane And it's yeah. just like how the, like what the, f- and it's yeah. modern Batman trying to deal with that. Like Tom King's Batman is just like, the fuck am I doing with this guy? Like, <laughs> so my answer is it's, I'm torn. I'm torn, but I'm going to go with uh, Captain America because I I love the idea of Captain America going away and you know Secret Empire would present like a great time for that to happen like after that whole thing like he never actually comes back or whatever yeah he's gone for that entire time because it's a little weird that like all that stuff happened and now everybody is just like oh cap you know uh even though he was just like this hugely dangerous threat <clears throat> so if he was gone for like a long period of time, and then came back, you know, in their final hour, like when they really need a hero. Uh, I I just love the idea of Captain America as this rallying spirit of the Marvel universe, and so I love those moments where he gets to be that. And I I just think it'd be super cool if that took place. The other thing I was thinking about was Superman, but my, my heart is in the Marvel universe, and Captain America is that figure in Marvel, so. That, that's what I would go with. Yeah, and I think it would be tough to shelve Superman for that long because I think, like, yeah. the cool thing about Cap is, like, I mean, when you think about it, right, like, one of the best Captain America runs isn't about Steve Rogers. You know, like, they were able to put him away and, like, have the Bucky stuff that really, really worked. And, like, you could still have, like, a Captain America without a Steve Rogers and, like, ha- or have his lack of presence be an impact on the universe where, like, that would obviously be the case with Superman as well, but I don't know. I feel like um that's just, like, so... Like, he's Superman, you know? That's the point. Right. I, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, but yeah. Ten years would be a long time without a Superman. Ten years is a long time to remove any major player from any comic book. Yeah, that's fair. All. You can't just do that. Uh, and especially if you're talking about 10 years in the continuity itself. Sure. I don't know if 10 years has passed anywhere in, in, <laughs> you know, of the way they, they, you know, so that's a really long time. But uh, let's let's move on to his, his second question here. Right. So he says, which gives me another random question to ask. I guess this is a segue. Random question number two. If you could take any hero and permanently turn them into a villain going forward, who would you pick and why? This was a hard one. I think these are both really good questions. Um, yeah. Very, very thought-provoking. Because this is this is a really hard thing to answer. Because it's like, you want to pick somebody who that heel turn, it hurts. 
You know, like it has to be somebody good. That's a really good hero to become a, a, a worthwhile villain. But like, who do you do that to? You know, like. So I've got my answer. Uh, it's already, it's a thing, but not a thing in the regular continuity. So my answer is Reed Richards. Hell yeah. I think, I think Reed Ooh. Richards is somebody who teeters on that line of like scientists who you know, could easily one day slip up and do something really bad that, you know, puts him in that villain role. Uh, because he's he is shown at times as being kind of cold, calculating, and mechanical to the point of near villainy, especially if you look at Civil War and some of the choices he made there. Uh, I think that, you know, being the head, if you will, the father of Marvel's first family, seeing him turn bad, that's huge. And it's different than the Ultimate Universe because in that world, there wasn't as much time that had passed. I don't believe they had kids. They were younger. No, yeah. Uh, they were like in their 20s, I think. Right. So to see him go bad at you know however old he is now, all this impact that he's had, the smartest man in, in Marvel to now be on the other side, that's like the most dangerous thing, the most scary thing that I can think of. So uh, that's, yeah, that's my answer. This is tough. Because I keep thinking of, like, because it's, it's got to be somebody essential, right? Like, I feel like Mr. Fantastic is a really good pick because he's essential. Like, there's, you can see it, but it's also, like, that doesn't mean the Fantastic Four stops existing. Like, his turn makes a lot of drama for a lot of characters, and that that's what makes it work. I don't want to just, like, oh, yeah, like, Superman, right? Like, no, of course not. Like, you can't just pick a marquee character. It's got to be somebody who's at the marquee, but I don't know. I, I like Harris's pick of, of Tony. I, I like that a lot. Um, I think that makes a lot of for sense. For similar reasons, yeah. Um, and I think it's, yeah, for very similar reasons. Um, I also, I and I think I think the thing is, like, a lot of the good ones have already been explored. Sure, sure. You know? Um, especially in like the nineties, um, uh, to that, to that point, I think I'm going to keep my answer kind of similar to Sean's. I really, I really enjoyed it when Doc Ock was Spider-Man. Like I, I, I felt like it was a really refreshing turn for both characters and I don't know, like. So you're inversing the question? <sighs> You're saying like you'd want him to stay a hero? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying I, I'd I'd want him to 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 lean into the villainy. Um, because I think kind of similar to Reed Richards as a villain, I think I think Peter Parker could really fuck some shit up if he really you know went for it. Mm. Sure, um, answer Spider Man. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean whichever you know Doc Ock was. Peter Parker, he was Spider-Man. So I you mean, mean Doc Ock as Peter Parker being a villain if, instead of him if you, being a hero? Yeah. Okay. If you continue down that line and, uh, you know, Doc Ock eventually was like, what am I doing? No, fuck this shit. And like, you know. Um, I think and, that I think that probably would have been a more interesting angle for when Peter had to like pick his life back up too of just like, shit, I got a lot of like bad press I got to undo, you know? Like, yeah. he, he did. I thought, well, okay, see, I, I don't know. Because I, I thought the whole thing was that Doc Ock, like, built up the business and everything, and Peter comes back and he's like, oh, shit, like, my life is pretty together. <laughs> he did those things, too. There were there were some, but there were some elements of his life that were ruined by 
Doc Ock being who he was. Whoa. Like Mary Jane, right? Like, wasn't that a part of it? it? Yeah, Mary Jane. And then also this other, uh, I forget what her name is, but this other woman that Peter was romantically involved with. There was there were issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the outside of his life looked fantastic, but the inside of it was screwed up because Doc Ock is a screwed up person. Sure. All right. So I, yeah. So maybe maybe my answer is Spider Man, but for me the logic there is Otto as Peter as Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. I think that that makes sense. My so like my answer was Swamp Thing. My no, it was. It was oh, that would be so fucking awful though. Can you imagine if Swamp Thing was evil? Oh, dude, that'd be legit. No, well he has. Well he has been, and no, he was going to blow up the world, evil, dude. Oh yeah. Well. Mm. All right. Be great. Yeah. That'd be rough. Mm, yeah, I can see it. It's pretty. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, What's your answer? But it's it's Nightwing. But the only thing is, like, Ooh. I can't make it fit into his character, yeah. which is yeah. kind of painful. Like, like I would like that would be. I feel like the perfect villain for Bruce because it's someone who like was his own son, and it's like that really kind of kind of relationship is important to him because that's one he that like, he lost and like. And the one that he had like formed to mimic that sort of in the first one has been broken, right? Right, yeah. Um, but I just can't make it fit into that. Like I can't, I can't even see him doing that. Yeah. But that would be it if I could make it fit. I think that's why the original Red Hood story of Jason Todd coming back to life and and you know fucking with Batman shit really worked with Jason as a villain was because mm-hmm. for those exact reasons. Um, I I've never bought him sort of turning back into a hero like that. That story yeah. has always sort of just failed for me for the reasons I, that you lay out. I think, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think that would be really good. Yeah. It's more compelling for it to just be a permanent turn. You know, that's tragic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm really having a hard time coming up with somebody that I really feel like fits the bill well. But like one of the one of the things that came to mind for me was um Professor X. Because I think he, um, He's already a villain. So well, <laughs> I was gonna say, right? That's something that like I, I know like we've talked about and, and Sean has said quite a bit, is that like there are often times where he's presented as being kind of a morally ambiguous figure about like what he's willing to do, right? Like how much he's willing to tamper with people's minds, how much he's willing to manipulate people to like fit his own needs. And, and, um, and I think that could work. And I think it would especially work in light of the fact that they've like, you know, over the last like decade or so had a few different storylines where they've kind of tried to soften us on, on Magneto. And I could see that being a, and, and again, like, maybe this isn't permanent because I don't know if anything like this is permanent, right? But the idea of, like, having a significant length of time where Professor X is, like, presented to be more sinister than we've realized. You know, whether or not he's a true villain, but that he's really done a lot of things that were not okay. Um, wouldn't be surprising, I don't think, for the character. And I think could could make some really good, like familial drama for the x-men you know of what do you do when the you know the patriarchal figure who has built the dream is uh you know like perverted you know like when that image is 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 destroyed to some degree like who steps up in that moment right like 
that would mean a lot for characters like Cyclops and Wolverine, you know, who have like Magneto. Yeah, right. Magneto, like him getting to change his like status as, as that villain, you know, like, I, I don't know. It could be interesting. Um, that's, that's like probably the best one that I can, I can come up with off the top of my head. Uh, I think the one with, uh, the most like big Marvel scope, um, story wise, I think a, a really good one would be, um, the Scarlet Witch. Mm. We've already kind of seen that. Yeah, it's yeah, like what's well, yeah, like House of M. But to see her like go full, full baddie, like that would go full yeah. baddie and wipe out fucking what fifty percent of the mutant population or whatever. <laughs> um, wipe out everybody. Fuck it. <laughs> wipe out me. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So thanks for writing in, Harris. We appreciate the questions. And as always, you guys can hit us up in a ton of different ways. We're on iTunes, five-star rated podcast. You know the business. Uh, you can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us as Harris did at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Uh, you can always get us on YouTube. Um, you can leave us a comment on YouTube like Lord Nurgle did. Uh, you can hit us with a like as well. Um, and uh, subscribe to our channel for more super awesome content like this. It's free to subscribe. Helps us out way more than it costs you. And uh, while you're at it, share this with your friends. Helps us out a lot as well. And if you are a subscriber, make sure you click the bell because YouTube's stuff's been all screwy Notifications. Lately. Yeah. So if you want to actually get notifications when our videos go live, click that little bell. So, uh, there was a monumental release this week, uh, Action Comics 1000 bow, 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 bow. out on the shelves. There are plenty of covers. I think there are nine in all, nine regularly circulated covers, and then some exclusives. Uh, I picked up the Midtown exclusive cover that is very, very sweet. Do you have it? Show it um, to us. I do. I can show it to you guys. Sorry, audio viewers or listeners. If you're an audio listener, jump over to YouTube so you can see this. Uh, I don't know how good oh, that's that nice, though. the webcam there, but... That's yeah. good. Is that a yep. copial? Uh, yes, yeah. I did. Oh, that one? Okay, that one's good. My the, the 30s one was my favorite one. I thought that was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, right one? Hold on, I think I got it. They, they ran out um, at my local shop. I couldn't pick it up. Right here? Yeah, that one's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have that one right here. The nice. Oh, yeah, the, the chill ones are my favorite. That one's it. Yeah, my um, my shop. Uh, like when I went there to pick it up, they I was talking to the the owner because uh, him and I are friendly, and uh, he was telling me about how like they he ordered like four times as many copies as he would normally get for action, and they're already like gone through almost all of them. Like what was left Whoa. on the shelf when I got there, they had one copy of three of the variants and about four or five of the regular one, and that was it. And it was just like wow, and it was Wednesday at like. One o'clock, <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't even like midday. <laughs> uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I've already got another order in for next week." So he's like, "Whatever ones you want, let me know." So he's got the thirties one coming for me, and then the uh, the the thick one. So I'm gonna have two more by next week. But uh, nice, yeah. I like the the seventies one where uh, by uh, Starenko, where it looks like he's making love to the flag. Just yeah, like, oh, yeah, just that like a good. real fucking American. Uh, the the, the <laughs> 60s one is good too. That's the one with all the that's the one with like the multi angle yeah, stuff with all the, the aliens the and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Which is the one above that? Like the one before? Is it just going by by years? It's like yeah. he's being attacked Decades, by yeah. like lasers. Yeah, that's uh, Dave Gibbons. Yep. So let's let's jump into the review. Let's talk about what's actually within the book. Uh, so Action Comics One Thousand is very much a celebration of the history of Superman, just as the covers are. Uh, and there are several several stories in here. Um, I expected a little. I expected some of the stories to be a little beefier, um, yeah. But uh, you know they they sacrifice they sacrifice beefy stories for getting us a lot of stories from some really really top level uh, talent. Brad Meltzer contributed. Um, John Cassidy did some art um, in that in that story. Actually, we got uh, uh, Tom King uh, and we got the first Patrick Gleason. Yeah, and we got the first stuff from Brian Bendis, the first uh yeah. his first Superman work debuted here. So let's start with the the main story, the one that I, I guess is the continuation of whatever was happening in action nine ninety-nine. Um from this city that has everything. So this one was by Dan Jurgens and Norm Raffmond. Raffman. Rapman, sorry. Uh what'd you guys think of this? I like this story a lot. This one, to me, it felt the most, like, pre-52 of everything else. Like, this this felt... uh, Pete and I were kind of talking about it before we started the show. It it felt... Like, there there are moments in here where everyone feels really human, you know? And there's, like... It's one of these moments that, like, similar to like the death of Superman, when everybody when everybody gets together for uh, his funeral, and it's one of the rare moments where you you legitimately see every almost every single character um, on a page, and they're looking up at Superman. And yeah, that that moment, um, it's it's right after Wonder Woman like explains the entire like thing of what's happened, and you know why Superman was able to be tricked and, you know, reveals that it wasn't just the Justice League. It was all these different heroes who had helped out. And like the dialogue is a little on the nose, right? They're like, we all know that, you know, we know we wouldn't even be, some of us wouldn't even be here without you or whatever. And, um, but it, it it felt very appropriate. Like I I said to kill off Mike, I I thought it it felt very silver age and it reminded me a lot of that, um, that like classic. And I don't know the issue number, but that classic birthday story of Superman, you know, where it's like there's the reveal and everybody's at his birthday party. And, you know, it's like it, it just felt very like celebratory and like a very cute, sweet, like classical kind of way. And um, and that's like what Superman's all about, you know, like um, and having a nostalgia for his history is part of like the appeal of the character, I think. So, like, it, it, I thought that was a really great way to open the story. And it felt like a really good, like, overall kind of framing device for the anthology style story that we got in between, you know, like it was like, this is a good frame for what's to come. And then Bendis's story is kind of like where we're going from now on, you know? And I was like, it's really cool that it's kind of celebrating like the past, present and future throughout the whole issue. But I feel like that story really like sets us off on that. In, t- in terms of the way that like, uh, like Pete, a hundred percent. Like that's exactly what like the issue is. Like at its core, it's a celebration of the character. Like, like literally within the page, um, from just the way that it's written, I, I I think I'm starting to get like the Silver Age feel because this is like the super comic booky stuff for me. Yeah. Like this is this is very much. I'm just like, 
oh and then at the end it's like all his friends are there or he's like <laughs> i have to like stop this thing or else and then I, it, it just felt very um it was it's not cheesy it was very endearing um but i don't know it, it i was able to read it but it was just kind of like moments of it took me out um and i feel like also uh there's like Oh, I mean, there has to be various like allusions to something within like during that that era and all that stuff. So like, there's also some context I feel that I don't have to fully appreciate it. Um, but I mean, other than that, it was it was fun. Like I I I enjoyed it for for what it was. Yeah, I I thought it was cool. Um, you know, I think I mean, I guess I feel the same way that Pete did, pretty much on every note. Uh. It's a nice little issue, you know, like a nice celebration of Superman. I like that. I like the idea of the people in Metropolis wanting to uh, celebrate this person who has been there for them. And that was a really cool look at how regular people feel about this character who is larger than life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like I like how they kind of played it where it's like, oh, like he doesn't you know, he doesn't want to go. You know, like, he doesn't want to go and be, like, celebrated, but, like, even him going and doing that is him making a sacrifice because it's not about him being celebrated. It's about everybody getting the opportunity to thank him and say how much he means to them and, you know, and, like, that is even part of his burden as Superman, right? But, like, he's got to be what people need him to be because that's who he is. And if that means he's got to be embarrassed, you know, or whatever, um that's something he's willing to do. And I, I like, it was, it was just very sweet. You know, it was very, it was very Superman story. And see, and, and again, I don't read Superman stories, but, and, and the only, my only frame of reference for that character is Grant Morrison. Yeah. Right. Um, so this felt sort of out of character for, for me. Like I, I saw it just like, wait, why wouldn't he go to like go celebrate because he knows it's for, for the people at large. And then like something might come and attack them, whatever. And he'll save the day. Right. But like, so for me, the the story also just felt out of character, um, and which again, like, kind of took me took me out of it because I don't know, like, I have no other context for whatever. I don't know what else Superman can be. I only know what he is in that story, and that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like a very specific Superman too, right? Because like this Superman is the Superman from the Silver Age, who's now in the modern era. So, uh, any more thoughts on the initial story before we jump ahead and talk about the other ones? I mean, the art was really good, too. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was a great, great, great way to kick it off. Yeah. The art wasn't flashy. It wasn't over the top. It was pretty simple by the number stuff, which is fine, especially for a story like this that is supposed to be just a celebration. Yeah. Um, but good the work. Next story that, yeah. The next story that we got is uh, Never Ending Battle. Well, this one I really, really liked. Yeah. This one was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by uh, Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job. And it's just kind of it's just kind of showcasing Superman and different like different versions of Superman that we've all sort of seen throughout the years, celebrating his history and you know, the battle that he's been in over the course of these, you know, whatever how what is it, eighty, 80 years? Eighty years, yeah. Um you know, within the comics, all these different eras, um, you know, each getting their one page. I just loved that. Uh, I thought that was really cool. 
Um, that the art and, man, the art for yeah. that that golden age. Like every, I think everybody's already seen that one of him stopping the train. But like that first one of him fighting the gangsters and everything, yeah. I was just like, God, this really is good. fucking I, gorgeous. I turned, I turned to Jess and I said, "Now that's a fucking page." <laughs> yeah, like fuck, man, dude. I, that like this is this is Gleason like at his best. Like Gleason is a. I don't. Th- I don't know that he's an underrated artist, but he's really, really talented. Like, especially um, the one where he's fighting like three, the three Supermen. Like, they're each in a, their own distinctive style within like some larger backdrop. It's like that's insane. Yeah. No, I gotta say, like, I I think he did the best art in this issue, in this story. And when you consider the names that are on this book, yeah. art wise, it's like that's. That's a huge deal. Like to have the best page in Action One Thousand. It's like good on him, man, and best pages. You know, because it's this yeah, whole yeah. story is just awesome. The visuals throughout it, like, make it. You know, like you you don't even like need the words. You know, like <laughs> yeah, this could be this could be a Superman poster book, and it would be tremendous. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's incredible fucking work. Yeah. So, um, moving on. Uh, we also got An Enemy Within. Uh, this story was done by Marv Wolfman and Kurt Swan, who is a legendary uh, Superman artist in his own right. Um, this one was... Th- you know what? This one I actually liked quite a bit, too. Um, because this one just kind of showcases, like, what it's what it's like. Because it takes... Okay, so it takes a scenario that can play out. It's a It's a... You know, a hostage situation, basically, right? Which is unfortunately a thing that happens in the real world. Uh, it's influenced by, um, you know, some shenanigans. But what's crazy about it is that you get to see Superman in a scenario where we know what that's like. You know, we don't know what it's like to the alien battles don't happen on Earth. Hostage situations happen on Earth, and seeing that take place, seeing the the you know what it what it's like to have to be a hero in those moments where somebody's where one person's life is on the line in that real way in that sort of scary way especially with what we've been dealing with with school shootings and different stuff like that like it was just so so amazing to see um and i i thought i thought they did a really good job with this one i really liked the art as well uh Again, Kurt Swan, fantastic artist. So what do you guys think about this one? So what I do like about this one is that it it does sort of showcase what sort of like who Superman relies on when he can't be around. And like it's it's it is good to see that um you know the the metropolis police are useful. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally they point that out a couple times too like they're like guys we promise the metropolis police are good at their job <laughs> yeah but at the same time this this issue specifically or this part specifically also kind of started uh what i've sort of referred to as like the superman ad lib so you know it start it starts with right now i'm in japan fighting brainiac's drones but I could have been blah 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 in Haiti and dealing with a an earthquake in Jakarta. So you know it's like like super, Superman is you know colon I'm in uh, noun doing verb when I could be 
noun verb and you know it, it for me it felt like a lot of this this whole thing uh what felt felt like that especially in the narration yeah i get that the the story was was cool and it was um it was like an acknowledgement superman's acknowledgement that he can't be there like he can't be everywhere at once but also knowing that deep like he knows that there are good people in the world and like this is just one of those things that reaffirms that belief in him and like his constant belief in like hope so like it, it was really really poignant yeah i i think it was good I, I think my one issue with it and it's like it's not even that it's like a bad page like i understand the necessity of it in like such a small story but i feel like that last shot where you finally see him and he more or less just like kind of delivers the overall moral of the story we just read felt a little bit like hammy to me you know where he's kind of like yeah compared to other worlds they're or the natives of other worlds their bodies are fragile but it always amazes me how strong they can be you know and like it's you know i get it but and i'm the one they call superman yeah <laughs> in 999 other issues of action comics i don't want to see that yeah in this one issue i want to see. yeah right exactly and that's that's kind of my whole thing is like in this context it feels appropriate you know like is it on the nose yeah is it a little hammy yeah but like it's action comics 1000 this is the victory lap you know yeah so let's move on to the car uh, by Jeff Johns and Richard Donner. This was one of my favorites. Are we we skipping the Neil Adams one? No, the that's, game. No, this is the very the car is the, the next, next one. one. Oh, I guess Kale, we're, we're on the we're using the same. Uh, huh. I have uh, I have the game next. In my in my yeah, issue, same. it's the it's the car. Yeah, in the paper huh. okay. issue that I'm looking at. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, so. This was this was a very very good one for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Top two of the stories in here. Uh, first of all, I do want to shout out the art. Uh, oh yeah, Olivier Coipel. That's how you say. Yeah, it, right? yeah. Okay, cool. He did a phenomenal job. A He's plus. one of my favorite artists in the industry. Has been for many many years. Uh, and I'm, I love. I've this never game. heard of him. Me neither. What? Me neither. Oh, yeah, I like really? this issue turned like immediately like page yeah. I was like, oh, oh I was like, my who stuff. is this? Like where? Like where? Yeah. What, is, what else is this guy doing? Because this oh, is yeah. amazing. He was on uh, Straczynski's Thor when Thor came back, or yeah. I think uh, Thor six hundred. Okay. Um, it man, it was incredible. No, like this. This was I thought aside from um, it was what Patrick Gleason who did the other pages we called out, right? Yeah, I thought this was the number two. I mm-hmm, thought this was mm-hmm, really same. tight art. Um, just the like the facial expressions and everything, like the emotion in the conversation between Superman and um, whatever, it was. yeah, whatever. The, you know, the the street tough. Uh, you know, like that that scene where he's just like you know over him and he's just like, "It's me." I went back to the pole, you know, or whatever. I was just like, "Wow, what a page, man!" And it's something I just really like the Golden Age Superman outfit too, like. Those boots, I like they, man. I've never yeah. somehow somehow I've missed those boots uh, in every other uh, '30s image. But man, those are killer. I know, right? I was like, dude, this costume is just so cool because like the colors are a little more muted, but it's still very bright. Like it's got like a very kind of like you the know nice tones. Yeah, it's it's just I, I like it a lot, and I I love I love the fucking just like that last panel before. He's spraying the water. Just that close up on his face, 
just like there's just so much emotion you know uh i also want to point out this was written by jeff johns and richard donner uh richard donner wrote the uh the 70s superman films Mm, at least the first two yeah yeah and uh you know for all the for all the damage that those movies did to like general perception of like what superman is and how he works and everything um they certainly understand like the core of the character and that's like what's really nice about this story i think you know it reminds me of like when you catch like those um you know like like the cutout story of like superman like you know sitting with that girl who's ready to jump right like just him having a human moment with somebody and trying to like set them on the right path instead of like you know um punish a crook or whatever right like i think that's a very like that happens in the the first story too right where there's the person who goes and speaks on his behalf where it's like he set him on that right path and having a story that's just dedicated to that that's like really just about a conversation is uh i I love stuff like that yeah so this this issue did a lot for me i i really appreciated that it revealed that hey you know even behind the the sort of projection of that that asshole you know uh, there is there is hurt, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, express them their pain in negative ways that can impact others. Um, but that there's someone underneath that who needs you know love, and it's cool that it was this version of Superman that they chose because this is the version of Superman that's closest to humans. He's not perfect. His the way he looks, even you know, like he's not perfect, and seeing him have a one on one conversation with a regular guy. You know, that really got me. Uh, I, I really appreciated this one in particular. Uh, and so we move on. Uh, this next one is called The Fifth Season. So this is by uh, Scott Snyder and Rafi- Raphael Albuquerque, two people who work together a ton. Uh, what do you guys think of this one? So the art in this one, I I really enjoyed, especially the, the look at who I assume is supposed to be the young Clark. Um, yeah, you know, young the Clark and young young. Lex. Um, I really pre- I really appreciated the art. I think the the art is really uh, is really good. Uh, the story. This is sort of where the stories kind of thin out for me, in terms of like, I don't quite get why they went this way. Yeah, I didn't care for this story at all. To be, you know, brutally honest, I, I mean, I love Scott Snyder and Rafi Albuquerque as well, but uh, this just didn't really hit me any kind of particular way. I get what they were going for; it was fine, um, but uh, I don't know. There's something about Scott's writing from time to time where he tries to be really, you know, poignant, and it just Grant didn't. Morrisony. Uh, no. Not even just like it's it's in Scott's own unique way that he tries to really like hit you in the feels and mm. uh didn't quite work for me this time yeah yeah i think I, even like i think even like albuquerque's art was just kind of like off even in this like a little I, there were like moments where i feel uh some of the 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 inking or like the penciling was like really loose compared to like he, he's usually pretty like i feel tighter than this i thought yeah adult lex in particular i thought looked yeah. a little bit weird so let's let's move on then uh, to of tomorrow, our boy King <laughs> and Clay Man. I was very much not looking forward to this for whatever reason, 
but I loved it. This was probably my favorite story. Really? Uh, really? This is yeah. the one I like the least. Yeah, I think so. I know. I know. There's been a lot of controversy. A lot of people really dislike this. I love stuff like this. This is so... So, the story is Superman, Earth is like dead already or whatever, and he goes to visit, to, to, to talk to the Kents, right? Um, and he just sort of tells them like, what they meant to him. You know, all these years later, you know, you get the perception that this is like way into the future. Um, it's like five billion years, I think four billion yeah, years. Yeah, he says think? Earth's been abandoned for four billion years. So that means it's like, right. you know, a long time. <laughs> and and he still, he still never forgets them. You know, like I, I just love the idea of that. This is his last conversation with the Kents that he'll ever have on Earth. You know, he's this is the last time he's going to go. Uh, and you know, I get the criticisms and I'm anxious to hear what you guys have to say, but I really loved it. I thought it was fine. I, I, I didn't like, I wouldn't say that I loved it. I I think that there was like, I, I don't understand the level of backlash. Like I, I had some problems with it, but I, I did think that like overall, um, this is like a good counterpoint to the last story we were just talking about, because like you said, I thought that like. Um, Snyder was trying to be poignant and it didn't really quite land. Like, I felt like for me, this did land, you know, like I, I, I felt like Tom King does a really, really good job of writing dialogue in a way that a lot of other comic book writers, I don't always think do. Um, there, there's a lot of times where you read people talking, especially when they're monologuing in a, in a comic and it sounds like comic book dialogue, you know, and, um, for, for better or worse, right? And I feel like, to me, like, this definitely felt a lot more, like, believable speech, you know? And, like, it, like really was, like, what it would be like if, if Clark was there at the grave trying to have a conversation with his parents. And for the moments where that's effective, I, th- I thought it was really effective. Uh, I don't know. For me, like, there were... Tom King likes to inject, like, a very unique kind of like realism into his writing like the, there are moments where he tries to make superman feel feel like actual um he does that a lot like with, with his characters they feel just like 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 real people like bounce off the page but like i don't know there was something about the way that um like he was talking about lois not being happy with the eternity formula and he injects like this sort of sadness and that for me clashed with the character and then the imagery overall of the of the issue it was just explosions and just violence and turmoil that i don't feel represents the character artistically and so that was just like there was just a lot of dissonance for me between my perception of the character and the way that tom king was writing it that i didn't jive it's like that's kind of why it works for me uh it's like the only story in, in the issue that has that kind of tone to it. And um, I don't know, like, I, I I like the idea that even, like, Superman gets sad, you know? Like, I, I, I like it being a kind of emotional counterpoint to the optimism that's present everywhere else, right? That, like, all, like, even this, right? It's like, and, and maybe this is me reading into it a little bit too much, but it's like, even when the world ends, like, Superman will live on, right? Like, and I, it's, I like that it has hope even in this hopeless scenario, even at the end of things, you know? 
see i saw like i, I saw the ending as like even like even though superman lives on he doesn't live on with hope because like he's like he's alone essentially or i i or ideally he's not alone but he's he's potentially like isolated emotionally from lois and like he's he's upset and like that? i like well with just like the way that he like he tries to like love her and the way she's upset and he's just kind of in this mood with her or like in, in this moment with her right now where they're just like conflicting so i don't know I, I feel like he injects an isolation and like a sadness versus leaving the character hopeful in the end uh yeah i'm not getting that as much as it's you know he's trying to tell them give them an update on what's going on i didn't yeah. i didn't really read a a, a sadness or a, a an isolation from um you know lois or or john um but for me like and maybe maybe it was its place in the comic itself it just it it felt like a real quiet moment but everything surrounding it in the issue uh is really loud and it's very um you know it's it's looking on superman as a as a beacon of hope and and this one it, like i said it's it's a quiet moment further on you know so like maybe if this was mm. put before bendis's part where we kind of progress into what's coming it might have flowed a little better i could see that but yeah and 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 i think that could just you know that that maybe that's what my problem with it is it just uh, you know what you guys said about tom king writing the really good monologue is is true like i can i can definitely see him sort of walking around the house and sort of trying to pace this out um because the dialogue does feel really natural but it's just i don't know like for me i couldn't there was just something about it that i couldn't i couldn't get a sense of what what he was doing and what i was like what i was reading i have that problem with tom king in a lot of other areas right now primarily batman but this was one for whatever reason just gripped me he he, he succeeded with me yeah yeah um I just, I just want to point out the the panel of um, Superman saying that he's letting go. How much that Superman looks like Christopher Reeve. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. It look it's like a silhouette yeah. kind of yeah, of, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Oh the wow, shadows, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's incredible. Good call out. Uh, Clay uh, Clay Man did the art for this. Yes, this good work. He's it was good he's, stuff. So let's let's try to kind of rapid fire through the rest of these because we've we're, we're belaboring it a little bit. Uh, so the next story up is five minutes. Any any thoughts on that one? Uh, it's by Louise Simonson and Jerry Ordway. Uh, I, I like this one a lot. I thought um, I thought this was like a really fun, like it, it felt very reminiscent of like late eighties nineties superman you know like the art was like a little bit like superman's a little bulkier and like you know it was just kind of like a very like popcorn comic-y like you know oh superman's running around metropolis to help everybody and he's working against a deadline and you know like and he talks about like the similarities between being a reporter and a superhero and 
it, it just felt like very good, like meat and potato stuff. It was very representative of like an era of Superman, you know. For th- this for me was uh, that thing that Phil likes to do, where he sticks a fork in his head. Is <laughs> this this is the comic? This is the the meat and potato shit I do not enjoy, and this was a chore to get through. Um, really, this it's like yeah, three pages I, long, <laughs> and it was and it was an ordeal. It was a chore. How dare Superman save a train? <laughs> <laughs> Kill your thoughts before we jump over. No, it's good. I liked it. Okay. Uh, Action Land is up next by Paul Dini and the legendary Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. This is the guy that is like the imagery that they always use, right? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. okay, okay. No, I, I think that was, it was cool that they had him do this story. You know, like, I, I feel like this was, like, a really fun... Um, it was zany. Yeah, it was zany. And, like, I, originally, before they revealed that it was, like, all some, you know, like, role-playing exercise or what have you, uh, like, I was thinking, like, oh, is this, like, a sequel to whatever happened in The Man of Tomorrow? Like, is this a world where there's, like, this super Superman theme park? You know what I mean? Like, I thought that was what it was going to be a tie-in to. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was cool. You know, like, that's an, that's a that's a fun era, so... The the art was really, I think, the, the the selling point for me here. There were a couple of moments in this where I, I wondered if the things in these little bits were going to lead to something. And this this was the one that caught my attention because the uh, the Thunderbolt is in it uh, of of uh, Golden Age uh, uh, Johnny Thunder... What was it? Yeah, Johnny... John, John Thunderbolt. What the... Okay. What the hell is this character's name? Help me out here. So in in JSA, it was Jakeem Thunder, Johnny Thunder, Johnny Thunder. Let us. Johnny Thunder sounds right. Let let us know in the comments. Let's move on. Sure. No, I got this. (laughs) Let us know, Matt Murphy. Yikes. I'm gonna speak on him shortly, but go. (laughs) Yeah, John. Yeah, Johnny Thunder. Okay. Um, and because so because um, like the Batmite and and uh, the Thunderbolt uh, who works with Johnny Thunder, um, we saw the original Johnny Johnny of the Johnny Thunder part in uh, Doomsday Clock and the Rebirth issue. Yes, yes. So I'm wondering if we're gonna see those two pop up in the comics at any point. We shall see. (laughs) I don't know. Do you guys know who this? other thing is the little furry one yeah yeah no i didn't recognize him uh so next up is faster than a speeding bullet i don't i don't often like john cassidy very much uh but i i I like this one and i was kind of surprised that i did but yeah i thought he his art in this was really really good yeah i loved it yeah i agree uh i love i love brad Meltzer. i love um John Cassidy, I love Laura Martin. Laura Martin is an amazing uh, colorist, and uh, I thought this was a great story. Um, very short, but it showed that a part of what you know, Superman. Part of the reason why Superman does this is because the people are inspiring in and of themselves. Their grit, their will to live. Um, I just, I just loved it, and I, I love. Anytime I get to read Brad Meltzer stuff, so yeah, I thought the art in this one was was really top notch. I think um, that like the look of desperation on him, where he's just like you know flying and doing the math and and realizing he's not going to make it, but still pushing. Um, 
I thought was there was just really, really good tension there. And uh and then, then that release that you get where he breaks through the wall, you know, is just like it's it's just a it's a very classic Superman moment. Um but I think what I like the most about it is like where I said that I felt like that one uh final page felt kind of like cheesy where it was kind of trying to wrap everything up like i really liked the dialogue at the end between him and lois where she's like you met a good one today didn't you and he's like i meet a good one every day and i was like that's 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 good that's classic superman shit right there i only know john cassidy from like his star wars stuff that he's done with marvel that's all i know him from page one i was like this is gross who is this artist (laughs) and then i get to the bottom i get to the bottom i was like oh no (laughs) What do I do? And I've never seen John Cassidy at, at this capacity, and it was shocking. I did not like. I didn't. I didn't know this was his style outside of whatever he does with the Star Wars stuff. Uh, the stuff he does in Star Wars must be really fucking good, then, because <laughs> this is what I know him for, and I like this. Uh, so then, the last story that we have is the truth by Brian Michael Bendis. And Jim Lee, Kel, you're giving me face. Are we? So we're not. We're not doing the, the game, right? Yeah. I don't have a story here that's with Neil Adams. I don't have that. Yeah, it's not in. It's not in the. uh, No, come on, that's fucking. I'm not. No, I'm not kidding you, man. Hold on. I don't. I don't have that. Wait. Oh, I read that one too, though. That was in the digital. I read that digitally, but it's not in the actual comic. Well, you 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 guys talk about it. Go ahead. Paul, Paul Levitz and Neil Adams, uh, Superman goes down and decides to play a chess game with Lex Luthor. Uh, Luthor uh, is a uh, fuck and chain, kryptonite chains shoot out of uh, the roof that they're playing on and he tries to get Superman and it doesn't work. That's the story. Uh, there was nothing nothing special. Yeah. I like. I don't even particularly like the art. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, okay. It, it was just it, it, that I that was one of the weakest ones for me. Like it felt a little just like kind of trite, I guess. Like I I liked the dialogue between them in the very beginning. Like I liked how like Superman's just being like super polite and you know Lex Luthor's like bragging the whole fucking time and then he still loses. Like I just any anytime you can make Lex Luthor look like a douche, I'm happy, but like <laughs> And like yeah, the thing at the end where he uses the the miracle box to get out of it, or the mother box to get out of it, I'm just like, yeah. Mm, but why? Like yeah. Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, I have a friend named Scott Free. He could probably do it. It's fine. <laughs> it's kryptonite, Kale. Right. No, I know what I said. He's Superman. He could probably do it. Like, <laughs> all right. He's like, I turned off kryptonite effects. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, okay. So now let's talk about. Uh, Bendis and Lee's the truth. Yeah, what do you what do you think? Just jump right in. I, so I thought Jim Lee's art was great. Uh, really? I, I mean, yeah. there are parts of it I really liked. I I think like there's some stuff about it like where he, he like sometimes his style his style's a little sketchy for me. You know, like um, he definitely like uses like a lot of line work sometimes. But um, I thought specifically like that that scene where. Um, where Kara like fl- like flies back in and like shoots her heat vision right in what's his name's face. Like I was like, that's a that's a pretty cool moment, you know? Yeah, his, oh, yeah. his character designs are really really good, but his destruction porn is just like <laughs> a little much. It's yeah, it's a lot. 
Well, to be fair, that's probably, you know, in the script. Sure. Because this is obviously supposed to be this major clash between what, you know, Superman and what Bendis is building up to be the most epic villain Superman has ever had. So, mm. um, but I will say that panel where he's like flying at the bookstore and then he stops and you can see him in the reflection of the glass. Like, I thought that was a really, really good uh, moment. Uh, so I, I thought it was all right. Uh, I like the art. I like Jim Lee. I think today's Jim Lee, you're either a fan of or you're not. Mm. Um, and I am. So, uh, when it comes to the story itself, there were some very, very clear Bendis moments. Yeah. That every single person dislikes. Uh, and he still keeps doing them. The dialogue between the two women who were watching the fight was painful. About the red times. underwear? Yeah, it was About just the like- underwear, how they're a symbol of hope. I don't know why that needed to be there. Well, and like for me, it would have helped and even added a little bit if Superman acknowledged it. But like- Yeah. Like it, it, he just had the dialogue between the two women, and Superman never went. Uh, I just like him. Yeah, like yeah. Like, if Super, if Superman made some like kind of like like you remember, there's that one moment in Justice League where like he kind of swoops in and has that one great like old school one liner. Like I think if we had had a moment where he was like, oh well, you know, they're just my color or whatever. Like that would have maybe worked, but like yeah, yeah, it just like like you said, Sean, it was just very like uh, cringy, you know. Yeah, and then we get into the revelation of, oh, he destroyed Krypton and whatever. It's like, okay, cool. So we're going to just revamp the entire history of Superman again. I was going to, you know, uh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, haven't we seen all this before? Like, is, did, wasn't Mongol hunting Superman at some point? Dude, how, like, I, I don't know why we have to keep going back to this over and over again. I get that you're Bendis, but, like, we've, mind everything but, from that origin already like that's it boy i thought i thought that sentence was going uh somewhere completely different <laughs> what, okay what i get it i don't know why we have to keep going over this you're kale you're <laughs> like, <laughs> but no i yeah it's like it's good that like you felt the same thing i did because i was like i was just like we've seen all this like this looks like another doomsday clone mixed with mongol and mixed with dark side and right. mixed with a guy with a big sword like even the yeah even the design of the character is just like it's it's i don't want to be disrespectful but it's like uninspired it's like just generic this. yeah yeah can i can i say i kind of like this one cool great Good. no i'm happy go ahead talk <laughs> like about it. i mean if anything yeah i hope i i hope this is what brings you uh, in i like I liked the over the top kind of like villainy like i, I like the villain he was he had i don't know like this weird almost 90s vibe going yeah and, he does and um and i don't know the, the the bits of writing where he hold on like the 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 villain dialogue was pretty cool i thought like but uh superman's was mostly kind of cheesy but i don't know he made him feel young like super inex- inexperienced uh which isn't what i want to see from superman in 2018 yeah yeah he made exactly superman and feel young and inexperienced do you mean because he was getting beat up no like the thing where he was like where he, where, he, where he spent the whole book being thrown around like well, that's a that, that's a that. that's a trademark of young superman well, well, more so the thing where he goes, and then stop in front of the glass. 
yeah, it's like, okay, Superman does that. Uh, and, I don't know, moments where the writing just felt really loose. Um, I don't know, it kind of hooked me in a little. Good. Yeah, the the idea that something destroyed. I, I I don't I don't I didn't know that was a thing that there was somebody else like whoever Mongol is. I, I don't know what that is. So several people destroyed Krypton apparently. Oh, uh, all right. But news to me. <laughs> thought, hey, it was, thought it was he, the sun. He was part of the coalition of Krypton destroyers. Uh so real you, quick you before fucking, we stop talking, you about fucking this. joke. That could probably be a thing, and honestly, probably is. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I take over Action Comics, that's what I'm going to write. Uh, so, Marco, uh, I'm stealing your ideas now, Kale. That's how, that's where we've come it to. It wasn't my uh, idea. Marco, oh, okay. Um, will you read Bendis' Superman based on what you just saw here? I might pick up the, the next issue just to see what like, what it is. And if it's if it's something worthwhile, then... Uh, I'll probably just like get it in trade later. Like it's not not something I'll pick up week to week or monthly. Fair enough. Uh, so overall, just I thought this was cool. I liked it. Uh, there were some really great stories in here. Some that were ho hum, but overall, I think a worthy package for celebrating the eighty years of Superman. Yeah, I agree, man. And uh, just like I, I, I like. It's cool to get a comic like this every once in a while. You know, like, there used to be anthology books like this from the big two where you'd get, like, little shorter stories like this. And, like, I don't think it's a thing that we necessarily need on a month-to-month basis. But something like this for a big event, I think, is a really cool way to celebrate a milestone like this, you know? Well, and I think I think that's what annuals were supposed to be, you know? Yeah. But I, I liked it. I did like it. So... Let's dive into our pals pulls because we are still in that part. Of Jesus the Christ! <laughs> wow. Wowzers! Uh, so uh, Kale chose the Adventures of Forager trade paperback. So this is uh, the uh, Bug the Forager. He's from the the Fourth World, the the Jack Kirby, um, you know, uh, 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 New God stuff. He, uh, this book is done by the All Reds. I believe it's a complete, complete All Red, uh, book. Uh, and that's what turns me on to it initially. Um, I didn't pick up the trades, but I'm, I'm very excited, or the, the issues, but I'm very excited to pick up the trade. Um, it's a, a short collected story. Uh, I believe it's only six issues. All All Reds is in. All purchase for me. <laughs> Wow. Uh, that and then you also chose Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 2018 annual number one. So what I'm hoping from this annual is something, you know, kind of similar to, to what we just had with Action Comics. Um, you know, just little glimpses into the the various Power Rangers universes or, or however they're, they're, they're working it. Um, um, just seeing how... Uh, you know, Lord Draken is going to affect the various universes and how Shattered Grid is going to uh, cross over into those as well. So speaking of Shattered Grid, uh, do you want to briefly comment on uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 26? There's not a ton to talk about. Um, it was and cool actually, to see... I I haven't read it yet, so I would... No spoilers. I want to jump out. Oh, no spoilers? Yeah, no spoilers. It okay, was okay, it okay. was a uh, uh, it, it was an issue too, you know. Um, I I personally don't feel like a lot happened 
we saw a couple of things. We got a couple of um, cool looks into, you know, more of Lord Draken's plans. We get to, you know, I got to see for the first time uh, the look inside his uh, his kingdom. I had never seen uh, Finster 5 before. Um, I don't know if he's in the other ones or not, but I thought that was a really cool, really cool thing. And this, this is the first... Uh, the first, I believe, incursion other than, like, the Time Force Rangers, uh, you know, coming over or whatever. We do get to kind of hear, you know, how the pink Time Force Ranger fits into all this, and um, it, it's interesting, for sure, it, but, like, I, n- not a ton happened, I feel like, or not a ton that, not a ton that went anywhere this issue. Lots of setup. Yeah. Uh, so then from Pete, we've got Saga 51. Well, you know, what can, what more can you say about Saga? Um, it's a fantastic book. One of the best. You should be reading it. Let's move along. It's we're an hour and a half into the show. <laughs> <laughs> from Marco, we've got Image First, Afar, number one. Uh, so Image does this thing where, like, it just reprints its first issue and has, like, label for it. It's like, this is the first issue of this series. So, like, Saga usually is one, um, East of West, all that kind of thing. Um, so this is one of those, and I, I was interested in it a couple, I think a year back or two, and I, I want to re- pick it up, see if it's good. And Harrow County, number 30. Yep, so, uh, this is Colin Bunn and, uh, oh my god, uh, Tyler Crook. Okay, oh. I almost forgot his name. It's um, like- <laughs> no, 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 I forgot his name. And, uh, the series is coming to an end, so I'm excited to see where this is gonna how it's gonna start to wrap up. I think we're only like three issues away, so um, sad to see it go, but excited to see how it ends. Awesome. <laughs> sad to see it go. Happy to see it walking away. <laughs> <laughs> so I chose Kill or Be Killed number eighteen. Yes, uh, this book is incredible. I am all caught up. Yes, I am loving it. Uh, so amazing. What a weird like direction, but it works. Yes, it really does. And it, it, lots of twists and turns uh, that you don't see coming. Uh, this is a book that you should absolutely be reading. It's mm-hmm, crazy to mm-hmm. me that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips continue to up their game, mm-hmm, but they do mm-hmm. every single time they do a series. Uh, so I recommend that highly. And then also Abbott number four, which is a book that I don't know if a lot of people are aware of, but it's really, really great. Uh, Saladin Ahmed is a phenomenal writer whose name is um, blowing sort up. of getting a little bigger. Uh, his stuff at Marvel has been highly praised. Exiles just came out. This is uh, a, a series he's doing on the side that is it's everything I want. It's 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 like Detroit in the '60s, so heavily fueled with race issues. But in the midst of that, there's a mystical, demonic element involved, and it's just kookiness all over the place. Well worth your time and your money. Sounds dope. I. I finally saw like an issue of it, uh, like on the stands and like the, just the cover alone. I was like, Oh, that's the book he was talking about. Yep. I'm going to get that in trade a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. You will love it. Marco. You of all the people on this show will love it. Yes. So let's jump into the news. Uh, and let's try to be brief, you know, let's try to really get. Yeah. I'm good at that. So, uh, Steven Spielberg, is going to direct his first uh, comic book movie, uh, to my knowledge, anyways, uh, with Blackhawk. 
that he's going to be directing for uh, Warner Brothers and DC. So Black Hawk is a DC series, a, a you know an old school DC comic about uh, World War II era pilots. Um, and so this is going to be his first uh, feature film in the DC universe. Uh, so Toby Emmerich, who is the Warner Brothers Pictures chairman, said, We are so proud to be the studio behind Steven Spielberg's latest hit, i.e. Ready Player One, and are thrilled to be working with him again on this new action adventure. We can't wait to see what new ground he will break in introducing Black Hawk to movie audiences worldwide. What do you guys think about this? I think this is tight, man. Um, unlike most directors uh, of his, like, age and stature, like, Spielberg is still pretty consistent. Um, and, like, Ready Player mm-hmm. One, uh, like, seems to have been, like, I haven't seen it personally, but I know, Sean, you saw it and enjoyed it, right? Um, and, and a lot of people who even don't like the source material said that he managed to improve upon it and uh, and and make it something that people enjoyed. So to me, it's like Spielberg's a proven uh, element, you know, and like if he wants to do this movie, like as long as they give him the control to make the film he wants to make, uh, I'm sure it'll be good. And I love the idea of uh, a DC or a Marvel digging and like making a, a film about a property that's not a superhero, you know, because there are plenty of of things like that in comics history that would make for great films. So um, let's see where it goes. I I'm I'm I am interested in this. I I do like the the Blackhawks. I think I think they're one of the more interesting parts of like the the more extended DCU. Um, I guess I I just I'm not sure. I'm not even sure where they fit in 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 modern DC comics communi- uh, continuity though. Is the yeah. thing other than like a World War Two story, which is fine. Um, but you know, I, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, I guess I feel like it, it might be a safe choice for Spielberg, depending on what he does with it. I think, like for me, like a a Challengers of the Unknown would have been Ooh. really cool from Spielberg. Yes, uh, that's good. But like Spielberg's made a World War Two movie. Oh right. Yeah. You know, right, or three or four. Like we know what that looks like. <laughs> Come on, Steve. Yeah, I can't say can't say I care about this at all. To be quite honest, mm. uh, if it wasn't DC, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Uh, you know, it's like again, this is just weird because I don't understand what the strategy is at DC. I mean, yeah. hey, Steven Spielberg says, I want to direct a movie. Obviously, this is his, this is what he wants to work on. I sure. Doubt he, you know. Pitched him on a Black Hawk movie. Right. This, yeah. Uh, this, this must be, he must make World War II movies to take a break from making regular movies. Actual movies. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, no, man, like maybe he read Black Hawk when he was a kid and he has like an idea for it, you know? Because yeah. it's like we sure. say he's no, made I a mean, World War II movie, but like I'm sure that this isn't going to be Schindler's List. You know, like, let's think about it here. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, like, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't get it. I don't see the point of this. Could it be cool? Anything could be cool. Uh, but what is the, how does this f- figure into everything else? I don't think it will. Maybe that's the, it probably won't. And maybe that question is not something we should be asking anymore. 
with the DC universe because I don't know where the hell. Well, and if it doesn't fit in, what's the point? Exactly. Just to make a to movie, make though, that's the thing. Yeah, right. Like I don't, I don't God. know why everything. Like, well, then I'll why, be the. Why does it have to be attached to the DC universe then? Why does it just need a purpose, Kale? God, it's just it's art. But Let you're, it be you're art, the one, Kale. You're the one who's saying that it's attached to the DC universe. Like it's a property from the DC universe. That doesn't mean it's going to have anything to do with like the DC yeah, film like universe. And um, and I think that's fine. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with them just like telling an out of context story about this group of characters if that's what Spielberg wants to do. You know, like, I think, like Sean said, if Spielberg wants to make the movie, you let him make the movie. And I wonder if this isn't part of uh, a deal that you often see in Hollywood where they're like, hey, you know, make us these two big budget movies, right? And we'll let you do the movie you want to do. And maybe this is the movie he really wants to do. And then we do see them put him on some other DC project. That's the movie Mm -hmm. they want him to do. Right, because like from a business perspective, like you want to have a bankable like series, yep. but like this isn't necessarily something for that. That's not a property necessarily for that. It's like also almost like a timepiece, and it you have to have it connect to the DC universe. Like you can't do that. So it's probably just like what Pete said. It's like let him make the film he wants. It'll be because it has his name somewhat successful and then you hook him in on some kind of book on some kind of movie to like roll everything else in and you got to think like if it works then like you have a guardians thing on your hands where it's like oh nobody knew what the fuck black hawk was but then steven spielberg made that really great movie and all of a sudden it's a thing like and you don't you don't know you know and it's like it's it's way easier like if steven spielberg wants to make a world war ii movie right that's like pulpy and like a comic or whatever why not do it with this already existing IP and hopefully maybe make it a thing that you can continue to monetize and make relevant again, rather than having him just make some random world war two movie that like Sean said, we wouldn't even be talking about. Mm-hmm. But then you make this movie that everybody likes and it's not connected to the DC universe. Right. And now you're not, you're not extending that bankability. If Guardians of the Galaxy was a movie that had nothing to do with the Marvel Universe at all, and it was a smash hit, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. But these characters don't get to interact with these characters, so what's the point? If you take Steven Spielberg and he makes a movie in the Marvel Universe about whatever the hell he wants just because he's Steven Spielberg, does that work in the Marvel Universe? No. We know it doesn't work because they don't do that because they have a system. That's the reason why we're going to talk about 10 years of Marvel in a few minutes. And the reason why we may not even be caring about 10 years of the DC Universe when that when that comes up. Because they make choices that don't align with anything else that they're doing. This movie could be phenomenal. I don't know. But whether it is or isn't, it won't reflect on the DC Universe. And that's the problem. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking of it more as like this could make for a singular good movie. And like that's the best you can hope for from the DC Universe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like that, but from a business perspective, like Sean, to your point, 100%. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, in addition, we've got another big announcement about uh, directors involved in the DC Universe because Kathy Yan is Warner Brothers' choice to direct the next Harley Quinn-centered movie. So uh, to be clear, this does not mean that she's going to direct the Harley Quinn movie that we've heard about. Um, but they have the plans to make some kind of a 
like a Birds of Prey movie, maybe, or a Harley Quinn and a, and a, you know, like we've talked about these kinds of things many times on this show. One of those ideas that we've talked about is what she will eventually be directing that could or could not involve Batgirl, that will involve Harley Quinn and maybe Poison Ivy. We don't know. Um, we just know that they want her to be involved. Uh, so the other thing that I want to make clear is that this is not confirmation that she will sign a deal. This just means that they want her to, that this is who they have uh, chosen. Uh, according to uh, Deadline, she is the top choice to direct a movie like this, and she beat out several male directors uh, for this movie, whatever it's going to be. Um, I was not familiar with her prior to this, uh, but she is the first female Asian director ever to be tapped to make a superhero film, which is pretty cool in and of itself. Uh, the only movie she has under her belt is a movie called Dead Pigs, uh, which was a, a small budget indie film, uh, but did win the World Cinema Dramatic Award for Ensemble ensemble Acting huh. at Sundance. Okay. So. Uh, I do also want to point out that uh, when I put this story in the news, uh, it was also attached to uh, a tweet that said there was also a woman screenwriter attached to this project as well. Um, oh, and I, yes, I, yes. Oh, here we go. Christina Hodson. Um, yes. So is also she, doing Batgirl. Right. She's attached to Batgirl. Uh, this is not that. So I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if this woman is also right. Are you saying she's also writing this? That, that was the impression I got. Um, it may, it may be that what I saw was that they were coming together to do the Birds of Prey. Um, but as you say, I don't think any of that's confirmed. Right. Uh, uh I will say I want that. If we can get two women on that. Uh, in major roles for that, I'll I'll fucking go see that movie and be excited about it. And for clarification's sake, she did write whatever this movie is. She she did. I just you know, oh, okay. Just Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't really have much to say about this one. I feel like this is like kind of a a non-story just because it's like if if all these chips align or cards align, whatever. Great. But the fact that it's like they're th- like she's their top choice, but she hasn't signed anything yet. We don't know what the project is, and they have like three projects in flux, and we don't know the name of any of them. And it could be a solo movie, or a movie with the Joker, or this, or that. I'm like, this is not a movie. This isn't a project that you have any clear vision for. So like you being like, oh, and also we've got these two women that are maybe kind of attached. It's like, okay, like tell me when there's a fucking title and like a date and we actually have any idea of what this is and when it's coming. And I'll, I'll worry about it then. Well, then you pick the news, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so moving right along. Uh, if you aren't yet tired of the Injustice universe... Uh, DC has more Injustice coming your way because Injustice is going to be crossing over with He-Man in a new series called Injustice vs. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, <laughs> so it's the kookiest thing. Fucking, <laughs> all right, I'm kind, I'm kind of excited for this. Um, be, what? Wait, 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 and and so I hate superheroes. No, 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 no. You know so, that. You know that 
uh, the wait, issue wait, from uh, Action Comics wait. where he he goes around and he <laughs> rescues people. It's, it's too on, cheesy. Wait. It's too much superhero stuff. I don't really <laughs> like it. Wait. So, um, um, Marco's all about Bendis avid, speaking. He man. I I am an avid Swamp Thing fan and collector, and so he appears in like three or four issues of a crossover between DC and the He-Man universe back in like 2013 or 14. And it was, I picked up the, on the Swamp Thing issues, but the story was actually kind of good. And like, so I picked that, all that stuff up. Uh, I followed that's how I jumped into the justice league stuff. And that's how I followed some of the He-Man like universe things too. So like, I, I don't know the Injustice universe, but I was a fan of the He-Man stuff, so I don't know. Maybe I'll get into the Injustice universe this way. Like, that's how I got into Justice League. Okay, man. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad. Like, listen, I love comics, and if this is what it's going to take to get you to buy a damn superhero comic book, <laughs> then more power to you and go for it. Uh, here is the official synopsis from DC. And tell me if you make sense of this. Believing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe defeated, a robotic imposter has seized control of Eternia. But not for long. After freeing his kingdom from the strongman's rule, He-Man learns not everyone is pleased to see the pretender deposed. But Adam knows the value of freedom. When heroes from another dimension ask his aid in deposing a superhero-turned-dictator, he agrees. Teaming up with Batman against the Superman of the Injustice Universe, He-Man and his new allies face dangerous and familiar enemies in a battle where no world is safe. And sold. So my question is, this like, is this canon in the regular Injustice Universe? Or is this like a what-if kind of... Of a what-if. Yeah, an yeah, Elseworld of an yeah. Elseworld story. <laughs> yeah. Because if it is, the, I'm... Isn't this what the Injustice games are about? Like, they reach out to the the regular canon DC Universe heroes for this? Yeah, basically. Um, not I don't know if it's the regular canon, but it's... No, it's... It, no, it's its its own sort of... Sub-universe. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Like... Let's see. Could like, be good. I, I hope they. I hope they introduce He Man into the games. Like that would be, ooh, that that would be just introduce the turtles. Um, the creative team is Tim Seeley and Freddie E. Williams the second. So that's cool. Um, that's that's a solid yeah. team. Uh, and it'll be out uh, July eighteenth. So uh, mark that on your calendar, Marco. There I want to. I want there to be a, a cumulative issue, uh, a, like a final issue where all the DLC characters that aren't from the DC universe all have to team up and fight Superman. It's like He Man, the Ninja Turtles, Hellboy. <laughs> Ooh, I think I just. I think I just got a random question for the video game pals beat. I think you should workshop that off the show. <laughs> um, so, in other news, uh, Sci-Fi the channel has given the series order to Deadly Class. Uh, So back in September, they wanted a pilot. The pilot was shot, and they liked it so much that now we're getting the full series order. Yes. Um, So this is just a quick update. We've talked about the possibility of a Deadly Class television show before um, and what that could look like and everything else. Now we know that that it's coming. The Russo brothers... Um, being attached to this project is probably the coolest part about it. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're not necessarily a Deadly Class fan. Just the fact that they're going to be working on a comic book property 
uh, on television is super cool. So they, I'm looking forward to this. Have they been attached the whole time? Or is this a yes. recent? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. That, that's what pulled me into this. I'm, I'm excited for them to come back to TV. Mm. Like, me too. What they do, like, like their community stuff is incredible. Uh, I think they did it. Did they do the Fargo show? Or like parts of it, maybe? No. I don't think they directed it, but I feel like they might have like had a production credit or something. Well, like at, at any capacity, like to come back to television, like it's a medium that they yeah. flourished in, and it's it's. I want to see that. I'm hungry for that. Yeah, and and Deadly Class is a hell of a series. So yeah, I'm like that combination of people is really fucking exciting. This might get me to watch the sci-fi channel. It's yeah. so funny, dude, because like yeah. I, I, we've mentioned this a couple times, but I feel like sci-fi's really been like you know up in their game lately and like trying to actually make good shows because like they have that um, happy right. That's the name of the Grant Morrison yeah. adaption. Yep. Yeah. And like Phil only watched that first episode, but apparently that's very good. Uh, I've heard Krypton's actually really good. The, yeah, um, the synopsis for Krypton is actually really interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, and like I've I've heard a lot of like Superman fans like going on about it, where it's like, no, like it's actually like it's good, like it's so. Who, yeah, man, who knows? Maybe they'll they're gonna get us in with all this shit one of these days. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about Avengers here very shortly, um, but the creator of Thanos, the main character essentially of Avengers: Infinity War, hates Marvel. Uh, so he and Marvel, Jim Starlin and Marvel Comics have fallen out again. Uh, they have had a history of a kind of, um, you know, tense relationship over the years. Uh, Vulture did a piece about Jim Starlin. They interviewed him for it and talking about his relationship with Marvel lately. Um, way back in December, uh, he talked about how he was done with Marvel and how he wanted nothing more to do with them. Uh, and so just to give you some context, essentially, Jim Starlin will leave Marvel for whatever petty crap is going on, uh, pettiness on both sides, to be fair, uh, and then come back because he wants to write Thanos. So it's always <laughs> been this kind of flip-flop thing that happened over the, you know, whatever, 40 years or, or 30 years or however long it's been that he's been involved Um with Marvel Comics. And so this last time, he was working on a series of graphic novels about Thanos, as he is wont to do, because that's the only thing he writes about. Uh, and um, at some point, he realized that the Donny Cates Thanos uh, run was very similar, that he had a pitch that was very, very similar to what Starlin wanted to, to, to work on. Yikes. Um, right. Uh, Starlin referred to it as a strikingly similar plot to his own plot for the graphic novels. Wow. Um, and Marvel has not explained why there was all this similarity. Uh, so this is now coming from the article. Given that Kate's story was going to publish before Starlin's, the latter felt like he'd be upstaged by the former. He doesn't accuse anyone of ripping off his idea, but says there was plenty of time to fix it, and they never lifted a finger to correct it. My attitude is, if they start undermining your work, especially slating it, so it comes out before your job, it's time to move on to something else, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, so, there's a lot more to this article that just... It's just kind of like a history of, of Jim Starlin type thing. 
Uh, and it's very nice. And it talks about um, his relationship with Marvel, how he broke into the industry, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what he means to the industry. And no doubt he's a titan. But I want to focus a mad on... titan? Uh, yeah, maybe. Sounds like nice. Uh, I want to focus on his relationship with Marvel and the negativity that now exists in said relationship so close to the sort of big screen, not debut, but coming out party of his, you know, the character that represents his magnum. Oh, I didn't know Thanos was coming out. Good for him. <laughs> You're the last person I thought would make a joke like that. <laughs> I mean, you set me up I'm for cool it. with it. <laughs> Had to hit it. <laughs> That's what Thanos said. Hey. So any thoughts on, on this schism between them? I mean... It's a it's a shame that this kind of thing is so common, right? Like it's it's not surprising to see someone who's worked with a company for a long time like have a falling out with them because of some editorial oversight or lack thereof. Uh so yeah, it's unfortunate. Um but like you said, it's not like this is like a new thing for them either. It seems like they've got kind of always just like had this kind of rocky relationship, so you know, I'm sure he'll be back to write Thanos at some point. Yeah, I uh, I don't know that like uh, with uh, you know the the reported similarities between Kate's and and Starlin's you know Th- Thanos series like if that's true and not just you know Starlin's like assumption or like you know it very well could be that he's lying about it you know um, if if that side of it is true then like surely he wouldn't you know he wouldn't have the 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 mm, what's the word i'm looking for the uh the gall to go back i guess i don't know though man like you don't you know you don't ever know like if he really wants to write thanos and like there's different management in a couple years or something somebody else who he has a better relationship with or somebody who's willing to mend fences like you never know like it's so hard to talk about the future of relationships between creators and companies where like their passion projects tied up in them. You know, like if he really wants to write for Thanos, he has to play ball with Marvel and to think that he might want to write another Thanos story at some point in his career, considering like Sean said, like that's, that's like the character he's most known for and most associated with. Like, I don't know. Like it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility for me to think that they'll bury the hatchet and they'll fucking go through this whole thing again and then he'll get pissed off again. <laughs> he was he was in the middle of a trilogy of stories, uh, and he stopped and quit while writing the second one. So the first one is out already. Uh, the second one he completed out of respect to Alan Davis, the artist, and it will come out, but he's not gonna finish it. According to him, at this moment in time, will he change his mind? Probably. Uh, they, like I said, their relationship has been off and on for a really long time. The sad part about it is that you know this is the time when Starlin should be rejoicing, right? Mm. And he doesn't get to do that. But to me, in my opinion, as someone who again is an outsider and doesn't know the in-depth details outside of what he's talked about, which was his choice to do. Um, you think it's impossible that two creators have similar ideas? 
You know, like yeah. yeah, I I don't I don't believe in any world that Marvel saw the idea that Starlin had and said, "Hey, Donnie, why don't you do this?" You know, I, I don't buy that, especially uh, when one graphic novel had already come out. It, yeah, it's already out. They already committed to the story. Why why do that? Also, wasn't his point that he didn't think that was the case? Like he said that he didn't think that anybody like stole his idea or whatever. Yeah. That it was just like they should have seen the similarities and spaced them he out better something. or like that like he felt like his work was being undermined by this other piece, you know? Yeah, but to me, man, that comes down to Jim just like I don't want to be rude, but it's like the comics industry now you're publishing graphic novels that exist in a different space than the monthlies you're not competing in the same way there are people who will read your graphic novel trilogy that will never know what donny kate's story was about i don't think it matters it's just not the same if if it was a mini series that was being published alongside the the donny kate's monthly i would get it but it's not it's something that's coming out over the space of years who cares? Um, he cares. So that's what matters, I guess. So, uh, as we said at the top, we're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War, which drops in just a few short days. For us, uh, it is six days out, which is feeling like a long time. Uh, oh, even though we waited to eat. <laughs> I feel like it snuck up on me, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it definitely has, but I mean, the next six days are are feeling like they're going to be really long in anticipation. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, for this film, um, and the world is waiting to see what Marvel and the Russo brothers have in store for us all. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the ten years of Marvel Studios films and how they've led to this moment, and what we can expect to see from Infinity War and where we think. This movie is going to leave our favorite characters. So first things first, and this is a very like easy to answer question. Did you see this coming? Did did you see ten years ago when we had Iron Man and we had that Avengers initiative? Did you think that it was going to lead to all this? No, not even close. Not even. And like I remember thinking after Avengers, I was like, I wonder how many more of these we have. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, people have uh, been projecting the superhero bubble is gonna pop since then. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, I remember that conversation being so thick right before Guardians came out, and then yeah. like, just like, okay, I guess we're just here. Like, I guess this is just it for now. So for me, when Avengers are when Nick Fury went up to Tony and said, you know, you know, whatever he said about the Avengers initiative, I thought. Oh man, this is happening. Uh, you know, like I'm not gonna say I, I I'm not gonna say I thought um, that it would get as big as it has, but I saw the opportunity to get real comic book style storytelling on screen in a way that we'd never had before. I thought that, that was a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. and and no, there's no one who didn't think it was brilliant. I'm not trying to say that I had some clairvoyance. I'm just saying that you know. There were all these movies before Iron Man that were a lot of them were great, but there was something always kind of missing for me uh, that now is being filled by what Marvel does. And it all started with that moment of like, hey, there's a world out there, you know, and that was just that was the coolest. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's funny to think, man, because like (laughs) I remember 
that moment in Iron Man and just being like, they'll never get there. Like, they'll never actually, like, I thought it was like, oh, what a cool reference, you know? But, like, they'll never make an Avengers movie. Like, no way. Wow, really? Oh, man. Yeah, dude. I don't know. For Absolutely. me, for me, I was like, wow, they, they're fucking going there. Okay. Like, I remember being there and just being like, how are they going to make a Thor movie? Come on. <laughs> how are they ever going to make that work? I For and, me, it was like, well, the same way they made an Iron Man movie work. Like... <laughs> But that's the thing, man. Like, I, I, and again, like, this is me, like, just, I guess, not having as much faith in Marvel because that was their first thing or whatever, or not having sure. the faith in, like, Hollywood. But I was like, Iron Man's an easy sell. Like, his powers are based on technology. Like, it's not anything, like, weird or, like, superhero-y or comic booky that you have to explain away. It's just, oh no, he's a really smart guy who built a robot suit that he uses to fight crime. He's rich. He's a playboy. Like, he's like Batman, you know, but like right. not as psychologically right. damaged. And like, that's an easy sell. And like, I can't tell you how many like fuckboy nerd friends I knew growing up who were like, oh yeah, look, Iron Man's so cool because he's so fucking, he just does whatever he wants and he's a fucking venture capitalist. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. Like, he fit into the early 2000s like you know mold (laughs) and uh whereas like captain america i remember people being like he's fucking lame like he's just like superman he's a fucking boy scout and thor is like a dumb fake magic guy and it's like i didn't i didn't know that those were going to necessarily pan out in the way that iron man did like i was like i wonder if thor comes out and is a flop or something like that you know like i don't know and it's it's so cool to like see how fucking wrong my uh, my doubts were, you know. For me, like I I wasn't reading comics at that point, and so for me, like it was just like, oh, okay, cool. Like they made a movie, and oh yeah, it was based off a comic book character. They they've been doing that with Batman recently. They've done that with Spider Man. It's okay, cool. It's just like another one of those things. And so I mostly put those movies off, like or like going to theaters to watch them at least. I was like, yeah, I'll catch up on them or something. Like, they weren't anything big to me until I started getting into like actual comics, and then, uh, then like going back and all that stuff. But still, uh, so they're still they're still not that, huge for you. Yeah, they're still not huge <laughs> for me. But I but I understand like what it is, and from where from where it it was in my point of reference. I would have never have imagined this. I would never have imagined like the whole Hollywood rage of taking superhero properties or taking comics properties into making them into huge blockbuster movies. Like even that in and of itself was not unprecedented, but to take an entire storyline is unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, from there it was just kind of full speed ahead. And I think, uh, for fans, we were in the same place that Marvel was at, where it was like, oh, Iron Man worked? Okay, well, let's try Thor. You know, and not that they, they obviously had a plan, but it was always, from what I've read, it was always like, wow, all right, they received this. Well, let's let's do this. Let's take them here. Let's go there. Um, and it felt like this great big ride, uh, more than it does now, because now we're so in it, right? And it's just like, bang, bang, bang. You know, you get a movie every like two or three months. Back then, it wasn't really like that, and so back then, I remember. I know, right? Back then, <laughs> that yeah, wasn't well, that long ago. But like, <laughs> some of it was, though, man. It's like you yeah. think about, like Iron Man was ten years ago. Like that is back then. Like, like yeah, bananas. like I had just graduated high school when when that happened. 
Like well, I was in high school when that I, happened. Yeah. I was in college. Yeah. I was my first year of college, 2008. Yeah. Like, let's put it in context. I'm pretty sure that when Iron Man had come out, I had not yet had sex. Like, like I was like a boy. I was a young boy. <laughs> I was like 14 when that movie came out. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I think kind of what's cool about it too is you can you can almost track your life where you know where you've been at as you've kind of evolved with Marvel Studios in a really weird way. Um, you know, and, and, and again, like seeing Captain America on screen at that point in time in particular, he was bar none my favorite, um, because of civil war and because of stuff like that. So seeing him on screen was a huge moment for me where I was like, wait, this is really, they're going all the way. And man, to see him done so right too, like, yeah, Chris Evans, he has nailed that character. Like that to me was, uh, I think the moment that was the most like that for me was with, with Avengers for the first time. Like I remember being in the theater with all my friends, like waiting for Avengers to start and just being like, I can't believe that we're here. Like, I can't believe that this is like the culmination of like, at that point I was like, like four years, like, wow. Like, can you believe that this has all come together in this way? And then it's like, you look at it now and it's, that's just like the norm, but I remember having so many moments in that movie of just like, wow, like I never thought I would get to see these characters interact in this way and like be a team and like have the dynamics that I've read in the books, you know, and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Because to Sean's point, that was the thing that like, with the exception of X-Men, I guess, you didn't get in any of these other superhero movies because they were all not about teams. They were about like one person. And even in the X-Men, it was like nobody was exactly how they were in the comics and, you know, like it was was just different. It was mostly the... It was mostly the Wolverine show featuring Cyclops right. and Rogue, <laughs> right? Which some people make that same claim about Avengers that it's the Tony Stark, Tony Stark and Friends show, but you know, like I don't. They have their own movies. That's ridiculous. right. So that's that's my thing. Is like I, I feel like that um, that was just such a special moment because I was just like, this feels like a comic, you know, where like. It was the first time I remember going into, uh, and it was the first time a movie had been like this, where it was this big cumulative experience. And like, sure, you could just watch it and get like the story as it was, but knowing all the other stuff, knowing the backstory and everything enhanced it in a way that like, well, that's how comics are written, you know, that like mm-hmm. it is right. built off of experience and mythology and your relationship to a character over a number of years and you know and then getting to see the dynamics at play and having your favorites and that that's all part of like what's fun about superhero comics in a shared continuity and that's something that moviegoers had never experienced before and like getting to see the culture at large experience that was exciting uh marco what's so funny (laughs) i don't know sean what's so funny (laughs) You tell me, man. I, I don't know. I don't know, dude. <sighs> All right. Is it the way? Is uh, it the way Pete can't say continuity? <laughs> I fucking did that again, didn't I? <laughs> oh, dude, you done it like three times. Con- con- continuity. 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 Man, I can't even. Continuity. I can't continuity. even. I can't even mess it up as bad as you are. Continuity. <laughs> continuity. Timelines. <laughs> so, speaking of continuity and timelines, uh, I want to echo what you were saying, Pete. So, I always thought, like, oh man, you know, we're gonna have that experience of a true arc across the course of like the three X Men movies or the three Spider Man movies, right? Like, 
I look forward to those third films as being the the final piece of the arc of the films, right? Like you would in a comic book. And it was always so disappointing to get to that part and say, wow, this movie sucked or it didn't live up to the hype or whatever it was. Avengers was the first time up until that point where you got that experience because Dark Knight Rises hadn't come out yet or anything where, well, I like that movie. Um, but Avengers was the culmination of all these years at that point, four years of storytelling, and it paid off and it worked and it was great. And, and it felt, it felt like a relief. Like, man, we did it. You know, we got through this. And I'm sure that Marvel felt the same way. And then it opened the floodgates. And for me, that was sort of the thing. It was like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I went into that. I don't remember feeling anything specific about the Avengers. I knew I, I loved it and I was, you know, I was there for it and I knew it was a, a momentous occasion, but it didn't, it didn't hit me the way it sounds like you guys, uh, you know, the, the way it, it did you guys. I, you know, uh, similar to, you know, Sean and, and I'm sure Phil and, and, you know, quite a few of our, our listeners and friends, you know, I, I, I'd read like the Ultimates and, you know, that was sort of the, sort of the, the blueprint and foundation for, for the Avengers movie and like, you know, the, um, I was deeply embroiled in the Bendis Avengers stuff and Civil War and and so like for me it was it was just like watching these movies separately and then going oh okay I I was very excited about the Nick Fury thing and I was try I remember being at the theater you know um, the Nick Fury thing at, in Iron Man um um and I remember yelling at one of my friends because. She was like, okay, we get it. And I was like, no, you fucking don't. <laughs> like, for me, like, I think at that point, that was when I was like, okay, this is all in. Let's see how it goes. Um, and then, like, I think, I think over time, I sort of just lived in that world. And it, it was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. And then for me, the, the real shift in, like, you know the the dialogue and like the content happened with guardians because because like it was it was like you know okay yeah the avengers sure that's earth it's thor it's captain america it's we know these guys that's fine and then they talked about uh, a guardians of the galaxy movie and i was like hold the fucking phone what yeah right exactly <laughs> you're telling me, me you're telling me rocket raccoon is gonna be on the screen no fucking way no fucking <laughs> way um and uh like at the at the same time ant-man was coming out and they were having that big uh i don't know scandal is probably not the right word but the big problem with like edgar wright and and you know his ant-man vision not quite lining up and I, I stand by this theory that like, man, they were scared about Guardians. And I think for me, I think they had no idea how Guardians was going to do. And Edgar Wright's iteration of Ant-Man was probably just off the wall. And they were like, no, we are not doing this. <laughs> from, from, from what I understand, the problem was because like, if, if you'll remember, uh, his Ant-Man was one of the first movies they talked about. Like, that was one of the f 
Yeah, it was one of the earliest ones that they had planned, and it was in development for a long time. And part of the reason that it, I think it got fucked up was because they made the deal for him to make his Ant-Man before the Marvel Cinematic Universe was the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, it was when it was... Okay, I didn't know that. John Favreau's making an Iron Man movie, Edgar Wright's making uh, Ant-Man, and, you know, whatever. We have these other ones that are in development. And Edgar Wright ended up pushing it off because he wanted to go work on one or two other projects first because he didn't feel like he was ready to do his Ant-Man movie with the vision he wanted. So, like, he went and did Scott Pilgrim. I think he did one other movie after that and was like, I'm ready to do Ant-Man. And they're like, hey, it doesn't fit what we have going here now, so do you want to adjust it and bring it in line? And he was like, no. Huh. Okay, I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's- A little-known fact is that uh, uh, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne were supposed to be in Avengers. And the reason, the only reason why they weren't is because of what Pete just said. Because, um, because um, oh my god, the director's name is Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Edgar Wright continued to put it off. The characters were already supposed to have debuted. And because those were, in Joss Whedon's mind, those were Edgar Wright's babies, he left them alone. Otherwise, the Marvel Universe would look quite different. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That makes and originally, sense, actually. I That's think it cool. was originally supposed to be like, a, there was like a multi-timeline angle of it. Like it was going to be about Janet and Hank in like the Golden Age or Silver Age. But then there would also be the modern day story that we got with um, Scott Lang. Huh. Interesting. So I think around around the time of Guardians, um, and then and then Iron Man 3 as well, was when people really realized, like, wait, this is like, this is, th- this is going to take over. Because Iron Man 3 made a billion dollars, and it was just Iron Man, you know? Well, there was War Machine, but, you know, th- it didn't include Cap and everybody else. And that was huge. Um, and he became a superstar uh, and eclipsed even the fame that Iron Man had had before those movies with that film. And then with Guardians, as Kale said, it was this realization of, like, they can do anything. You know, they can take us any place. Uh, Thor the Dark World tried to uh, show us, you know, a different side of Thor in terms of, like, taking it more... Because uh, the first one was like it took, a lot of it took place on Earth and it wasn't really that spacey. And then the second one introduced even more elements of space. And it was like, oh, wow, there's all this other stuff going on. It introduced one of the Infinity Stones, um, even though I don't think it was called that by name in the film. Um, but, you know, they, they were going so many different places. And then Ant-Man for me was the movie personally where I was like, this is going to suck. And this is going to hurt Marvel. Huh. That's that's where I was at with that movie. I was the exact opposite with that. I was like, this is the movie to bring me in. And this is the movie to be like, this. if this is good, this is going to change it. I still haven't seen it, man. I, I wonder if I oh. am still like in that because I, I just I haven't gotten around to watching. I remember when that movie came out, I had a lot of concerns about it because of the development cycle it had gone through. But I remember seeing that movie and just being like, this is a breath of fresh air. Like after um, – because what? Right before that, we had had Avengers 2 only a couple months earlier – um, but then there was also, like you said, Thor and, you know, like, and Iron Man 3, which was very heavy. And it, like, 
Ant-Man was like, yeah, no, like, this is like a back to basics kind of thing at a time where I feel like that's what it, the universe needed, you know? Mm. Huh. I agree wholeheartedly in retrospect. Sure. Like, after seeing the movie, I felt that way. Going into it, I was very nervous. I don't know that Ant-Man is remembered super fondly. Like, I think people like it, but I don't think, I just don't think that many people even saw it, to be honest. Uh, it did all right, but it didn't do, uh, you know, what, what we, co- what we've come to expect from these movies. Right. It's not, um, it's not an Iron Man 3. <laughs> right. And especially to come off the heels of Age of Ultron to be that, that next movie, uh, I think it did what it needed to do. And um, I loved it. So then we went into what I consider to be um, the best, the, the, the best probably of, of the Marvel movies uh, so far. Um, we got into a real hot streak because we got Captain America Civil War, which changed the game. Uh, and then right after that, we got Doctor Strange. Banger. Um, <laughs> I, I loved it. Meh. Guardians 2. Good. That was good. Really good. Spider-Man Homecoming. Good. It was good. I didn't see it. That's crazy. I don't understand. Yeah. So what had happened was I uh, had gone home for my birthday and it came out on like the 7th or something. And that was also the week that we were reviewing it. And just so much had gone on that I was just like, okay, I've got a break. I'm off the hook. I'm going to go see Baby Driver. <laughs> Fuck it. Like, <laughs> uh, and then we got Thor Ragnarok. Banger. Which yeah. Changed the game again. Yeah. I yeah. Think. yeah. Especially for um, Thor. Yeah. And it established yeah. like a, a direction for the character. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> right. Yeah. And finally. One thing that I, I would like to put out, point out is that um, so Captain America Winter Soldier came out in 2014, which is I would say top five of these movies. That movie was the first in, that sort of played with the construction of these films. That was yeah. a spy movie. That was, you know, like very different, kind of like felt noir in some senses, right? Um, and then we got Ant-Man, which was a heist movie, which, you know, we've talked about that. Um, and then, you know, Doctor Strange, which is, was its own thing because it introduced magic. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was a very heartfelt movie that was about relationships between families, right? They started to do so many different things, and then Thor Ragnarok was just this explosion of colors and funniness and, you know, broke the mold again. And then we got Black Panther. And Black Panther, I think, a lot of people, especially now, just a few months out from Black Panther, look at that as, to this point, the crowning jewel of the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Cinematic Up there, Up there with uh, Winter Soldier. I think, like, I mean, I would put them on the same pedestal, I think. Like, I think, I yeah, I think Black Panther did, in 2018, what Captain America Winter Soldier did, you know, whenever the fuck, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think in terms of showing us what these movies could be, I think you're absolutely right. Because up until Winter Soldier, yeah, you had Dark Knight, but the Marvel Universe didn't have that that movie that made you that made you go, whoa, 
this is this is different. This is yeah. like heavy. This yeah. is you know. Um, well, and it it shook the foundation of of what we knew because at the time, uh, Agents of Shield had it was maybe ten episodes in, and it was fine. But then when when that happened, it got good. Right, because it changed that show as well. Because it, it, yeah, like I think that movie and and Black Panther. Um, really stand as some of the pillars and Avengers. I think you have to throw Avengers in there as well. Yeah, I agree. Stand as the pillars of what Marvel has accomplished and created uh, to sort of say, hey, we can make those fun movies. We can also make movies that are like high quality. A lot of people have dissed the 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 quality of some of the direction and some things like that in these movies, but they've just gotten better and better to the point where Black Panther, to me, is not just a good comic book movie. Uh, it's a great film in general. Just a great film. Indisputable. Uh, and I'm so glad that we're at that point. Yeah, I feel like we're getting to a point where, and I've been saying this, I think, since Doctor Strange, where it, it feels like they're getting a little bit more comfortable with letting the house style look of the movies kind of uh, be a little more varied. You know? Like, Doctor Strange had a very Jack Kirby inspired look. Um, you know, obviously we talked about Guardians had really interesting use of color in volume two as well. Um, you know, th- th- there's like Black Panther has like a very distinct feel to it compared to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so did Thor. Like that feels like a uh, Taika Waititi film because like they had the improv. There was the increased comedy. Like. I, I like the idea of them letting uh, the creative voices come through a little bit more now that it's established and they don't need to worry about people being like worrying about the cohesion. Like they've already sold us on the idea that this is all the same place. Exactly. And that freedom that they now have takes us to Infinity War. Infinity War is technically the third Avengers movie. The difference is that A, it's being directed by the Russos, not Joss Whedon, who has now exited the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But beyond that, the Russos sort of started that shift because Winter Soldier was a different movie than anything we had gotten previously. They were the ones who showed us that Marvel could break that formula. And now they're going to do it again with the blockbuster of all Mm -hmm. blockbusters, Mm -hmm. right? We thought, okay, the Avengers movies have to look and feel a certain way. Now, with Infinity War, we're getting the directors who broke the mold. We're getting the directors who showed us, again, that they could do that with Civil War, which did not feel like a a basic Avengers movie. It had heart and and it had soul and it was deep and things had meaning. And I think you really kind of grasp that – the Marvel Cinematic Universe was root was rooted and steeped in something that we could feel, um, because it pulled from real things. And now with Infinity War, um, this is it, right? Like I talked about of uh, the first Avengers as being that that breath moment that wow we did it that completion of that arc. This is the end and the culmination of the ten year arc that Marvel has been building. What do you guys expect from this? Tony, I don't know. Okay, Kale, what'd you say? <laughs> I said Tony's gonna die. Okay, Marco? Uh, I think it's gonna set the direction for the rest of... Or for the, the future of the the MCU in, in a very, very pointy way. Like, it's gonna be... 
it's going to take it in wherever they're going to go next. Like, this is going to be a game changer in that sense. Pete? I just, I don't know. You know, like, I, for the first time, I think since Avengers, I feel like this is another major culminating moment. You know, like, Civil War was a culmination of things that had been bubbling under the surface, but not it does it didn't feel as monumental as this like this is something we've been building towards like since the beginning in in one way or another and um it's also the end of a lot of things we've been we've been with since the beginning and um that is going to be interesting you know because it can't be avengers again you know like we're 10 years removed from the start of this it's not the first time we're doing this again so it can't rely on just that. It has to be more. And especially if it is moonlighting some of these characters um, who have become, you know, cultural icons to a generation, uh, it has to have resonance that's deeper than that. And I believe it will. But that's not something we've seen a lot. And like when, when we have, it's been the Russos. But for it to be on this big a scale with this many characters and have to say so much about so much is going to be a real challenge. And I'm, I'm just interested to see them tackle it. Like I'm going into it with very few preconceived notions, you know, other than I assume it will be good because they're really good. They're really good at what they do. And, and I don't, I don't think that the team here and not just the Russos, but the team behind, behind this juggernaut uh, movement of films um, would let the culmination of 10 years of work be anything less than exceptional. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's going to be the best film because I don't know if it can be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is either, you know? So I'm just kind of excited for the ride at this point. So I think you brought up uh, something interesting. You know, you, you talked about how it's going to have to be the culmination. Um, and, and the Russos are aware of that. And so... Here's a quote from Joe Russo on this very subject. Uh, My brother and I are firm believers that nothing has value unless it has an ending at some point. And I do believe that this has been a really, really interesting experiment in filmmaking. What Marvel's done over 10 years is serialize storytelling through multiple franchises. That's never been done before. And it's important, I think, for this book, if you want to call it that, that's been written over these 19 films. That's amazing, 19 films. That's me. Um, Back to Joe. To have an ending, to have final chapters. Infinity War is the final chapter. There will be, I'll just say this, there will be surprises in the movie. And I feel the audience should be prepared going in for surprises. Groot's gonna die. Whoa. There will there will be some endings and new beginnings. You look at the incredible success of Black Panther, and I think the universe will be very healthy moving forward, and it's time for some new characters to shine. Black Panther's gonna Yes. You're right. Yeah. Everyone's going to die. 50% yes. of the characters are going to die. <laughs> Hawkeye, gone. <laughs> He's already dead. He's actually not even in the movie. He died off screen. Yeah. Really? So, Wait, is that true? No. No. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh. That's why he's not on the poster, you guys. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think I think for me, and I, and I'm anxious to hear what you guys think about this, I didn't see Infinity War as that. Coming into it, I thought, all right, well, they 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 had initially said it was part one of two. 
and then they said, well, it's it's they're still interrelated, these movies, but Infinity War has its own name, its own surname, whatever. Um, and then the conversation started to be, and the narrative started to be, Infinity War is the end of this whole story. So then that opens up a ton of different options because now I don't know what to expect. Because now they're saying, oh, this is the end, which is not what I thought for this whole time. I've been thinking, all right, whatever, they'll end up, Thanos will get the, the gauntlet at the end, and Infinity and uh, Infinity War Part 2 or Avengers 4 will be about stopping him. And now it seems like that might not necessarily be the case. Yeah, I, I think it was two weeks ago when we talked about this last, um, and I, I said the same thing, that based on some of the um, the news articles that I had written at CBR about this subject, that I was getting the impression that, 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 that this wasn't going to be, you know, that we had that whole thing about it's not a true two-parter or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, it really does seem like this is supposed to be the end of many things and the start of new things. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like, what the actual end moment, like, what is the last moment we see when we roll credits on this movie? Well, and I think one one interesting thing is, like, the movie that follows this in July, I think, is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm. I interpret that, you know, this is literally just my thought. I interpret that as as one of those things where it actually takes place before Infinity War. Yeah, that very well could be. I mean, I don't think we've seen any anything of Janet in Infinity War. I could be wrong, uh, but we haven't seen Hawkeye either. So, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I um, yeah, because Ant Man and the Wasp is still dealing with the Civil War fallout, right? And for those of you who, who aren't aware of this, uh, Infinity War takes place years after. That's that right. That's right. Because Guardians, oh, really? Guardians I didn't... 2 yeah. is like, it happens right after uh, Guardians 1. Yep. I didn't and realize I it think, was multiple years right, later. Huh? So that actually throws in so many more things into the so many more monkey wrenches into it because then it's like well where are these characters now you know there are so many of them that we're not aware of where they're coming into this movie from especially in the case of like spider-man right like yeah right three like, years to pass he's like about to graduate yeah high yeah he's yeah. gonna be a senior or he was what 15 i think he was a sophomore 14? in that movie but it was literally the very beginning of his sophomore year so yeah that if it was three yep. years after that He'll be, yeah, probably graduating on his way to college. Yeah. Because, I mean, in the trailer, we see him on the school bus, so obviously he's still in high school, but... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe he's just slow, Pete. <laughs> he's literally a genius. <laughs> you don't know. He built a Lego Death Star, Kale. Those things are basically a fucking degree from MIT. I saw the movie. Genki did that. Fair enough. <laughs> Wait, you didn't see the movie. Because the character's name isn't Ganky, you moron. <laughs> Fucking. Well, alright. Uh, so, this movie has been rooted in secrecy. Like, we don't know anything, you know, and, and we, Good. this is what we do, you know? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, but it's been so secretive that the Russo brothers have actually sent out fake scripts to the actors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and Joe Russo said Joe Russo said the following on on this point: uh, We can't trust anybody, least of all Tom Holland. <laughs> Spider Man. It's true. It's a burden to bear for them. It's probably easier to have read a fake script and a fake ending because they don't have the pressure of knowing what happens in the movie and then they have to hide it. We can divulge nothing at this point. We work really hard to protect the secrets of this movie because this is the end of 10 years of storytelling, and I think a lot of people have emotionally invested quite a bit into the Marvel Universe, so we want to make sure that they have the best experience they can when they go into the movie. We can't trust anyone except Josh Brolin because he's a staunch professional. I've heard uh, (laughs) Tom Holland and Mark Ruffalo are particularly bad at keeping uh keeping secrets i mean tom really? holland has literally leaked like several things yeah. by accident like no, in mark, interviews so is, or like yeah so is mark <laughs> yeah i feel like mark ruffalo does it just because he's just like i don't give a fuck like <laughs> tom holland's just like i'm 17 and i'm really excited to be spider-man yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah mark ruffalo was like he was like fuck it i was the second choice i don't give a shit it's like you know what make a black widow action figure for my niece and i'll stop leaking shit (laughs) so we talked about not knowing where things are gonna go but some rumors are shining a bit of light on what avengers 4 could look like and thankfully those rumors are just enough to be a tease and not enough to spoil anything seriously because we're gonna talk about it right now uh Avengers Infinity War will likely have some form of time travel. Uh, and there are two pieces of evidence that I want to point to. One is that Avengers 4 has cast Emma Furman as an older version of Cassie Lang. The daughter of Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, who is 10 years old uh, in, 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 in Ant-Man. So... Presumably, Ant-Man took place, you know, a couple years ago, maybe. And then this is a three-year jump, right? So she's so Ant-Man and Civil War take place at basically the same time. There's like months between those movies. And then this is three years after that. So she's about 13 years old in, in when we come into Infinity War. So Avengers 4 shows us a teenage version of the character. Emma Furman is, what, 16 years old? Something like that? Um, I could be wrong. I have no idea. I have no uh, idea. She, she is, is. She is sixteen. Okay. She is sixteen. She's a she's a you know a young, up and coming actress. Uh, so that again leads me to believe that this this movie is going to have some form of time travel. And then in addition to that, the Russos have been saying that there is something in Civil War that is a huge hint as to what Avengers Four is going to look like. Now, in in Civil War. There's a moment in the very beginning of the movie when Tony Stark is watching himself at a younger point in a family dispute. He's created technology called uh, a codenamed BARF, uh, which stands for Binary Augmented Retroframing Technology. Yes, I have. Yes, I'm reading that. I don't have that memorized. Uh <laughs> And it allows him to see the past with pinpoint accuracy. The idea is that this same technology, maybe combined with an infinity stone, can allow them to go into the future. That's cool. Or that going into the past using this technology combined with an infinity stone alters the past, which changes the future. Because theoretically speaking, 
just like in the Infinity Gauntlet book that we just read for our book club, which you can check out, uh, half the population dies. So if that happens in the movie as well, Avengers 4 could theoretically be about putting the pieces back together. Well, and if we see the, you know, the death of, say, Captain America or Iron Man, that could also write them back in history as different actors. So we still have those characters to play with. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's an easy way to do it. That's something I've been thinking that they're going to do for a long time. You know, it's like they have to moonlight these characters somehow. But like, are we going to give up Iron Man and Captain America totally? Like, I don't think so like you know like they've spent all this time building them up and i don't know so last question before we wrap this conversation up one thing that you really really want to see in infinity war hawkeye no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) he can he can go get fucked um he already (laughs) he's got kids i think i want to see some finality i want there to be like a risk in this one and uh, that that imminent danger that permeates outside of just the in like the story but like has consequences for us as viewers because i think i think they're at that point they've earned that and they they've earned the ability to do what they want to to tell the next story and do what is necessary and i hope that is by bringing to an end a, a number of stories essentially yeah i'm i'm with you yeah i mean that's that's really all i'm kind of looking for out of this is i, I want to walk out and feel like i want to feel like this is a period on the end of a sentence and that we're starting a new chapter here not okay, let's get ready for the next one. You know, because I think that's very much how most of the Marvel movies feel. You know, it's like we're we're building towards the next thing all the time. And that's okay. Um, but what was nice about Avengers was that it was a culmination, that it felt like the end of one thing and the start of something else. And I think that is very much what coming out of this phase of the Marvel Universe, I feel like that's kind of what we need. Because I don't feel like you had that same line of uh, finality between two and three, you know? I think those two generations of films kind of bleed together for me. And um, I, I, I'm, I, I would love for this to feel like a conclusion and that the next – even though the next one is informed by what's come before, that it is, you know, really the start of something new in an earnest way. So, yeah, so you know how at the end of each movie they have said, you know, blank will return in blank. You know, the Avengers will return in blank. Thor will return in Avengers, blah, blah, blah. I I think I would rather not see that this time. Because obviously there will be another Avengers movie in whatever form that takes. But I think... If, if this is really and truly the closing of MCU Volume 1, you know, I think I, would, I think I would rather just let that ending hang and then let the next one pick it up. I want to see them be like, Iron Man will not return. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine. The Russos end it with 
The Avengers are dead, you fucks. Get out of here. an ocean of children start crying. But Hawkeye's still there. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Renner walks on the screen and goes, Hey guys, I'm still here. <laughs> Everyone boos. Disney Aww. loses thousands. <laughs> thousands. Thousands, yeah. It wouldn't, be, it. it wouldn't be that big a loss. but <laughs> Oh gosh, what do I want to see? I want to see relationships paid off. Uh, Captain America and Iron Man are the pinnacle characters of this cinematic universe to this point, and I want to see them reunite. I want to see them get over it, and I want to see them have their, you know, their moment. Um, I want to see Hulk and Black Widow smash. Oh, you son of a bitch! I mean, I could watch it, you know, if it, if it's there. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, Civil War, The Confession, which is what comes after Civil War ends and Cap actually dies uh, in the Captain America series proper. And Tony tells him all the things that he wishes he could have said while Cap was still alive. And that's probably the best issue of Civil War, of that whole period. And um, it's a shame that we didn't get a similar moment after the Civil War film because it didn't make any sense to do that. But now that we're at the end, there's a great chance that Cap will die because half the people are going to die, right? Or, you know, theoretically speaking. Um, And he may come back. We don't know. But I would love to see that. I would love to see Tony kind of forced to realize, hey, I, I messed some stuff up and I never got to say goodbye the way I maybe wished I could have. Um something along those lines i want to see that i want to see some real emotional moments between those characters between you know between everybody um just to just to send it off uh so that's going to wrap up our conversation about avengers infinity war we don't have long to wait for the answers uh as i said it is six days out from today Uh, comes out on wednesday for me monster I'm seeing it on Thursday. I'll, you better not spoil anything. I'll probably, Me too. Uh, I'll probably wait and see it on like Saturday. That way I can come into it fresh. Uh, we also don't have long to wait to find out what will come post-Infinity War because the next Avengers movie is the year after. It's in 2019. So, uh, you know, lots of exciting stuff in this, ra- in this realm. And uh, as a fan of this stuff for basically my entire life, I can't wait to see what's next uh so i'd love to hear what you guys think about this subject uh what are your favorite moments from the marvel cinematic universe what were you thinking when was the moment that you realized this was legit that it was really going down uh you can let us know in a ton of different ways you can write us on itunes uh apple Podcasts, i should say uh where we are five star rated podcast you can leave us a comment on soundcloud as well if you listen to us there uh we are all over the internet, wherever your social media is sold, at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com where we can talk about this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, and you can leave us a random question of the week, a buy or sell, anything like that, whatever your heart desires. Of course, we're on YouTube where you can leave us a comment. Uh, leave us a like while you're there. Subscribe to the channel and uh, share this content. Uh, and as Pete said, hit the notification bell. It'll let you know when stuff actually gets on. Notifications. Let's do some plugs, Pete. 
Cool. All right. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to get some more content from me, you can check out my writing over at CBR.com. I've got one out this week about uh, 20 goofy superheroes who were like super OP. Um, So I got to do some digging, talked about characters like Plastic Man, uh, Herbie the Fat Fury, uh, Uncle Sam, all kinds of goofy, like deep cuts. So uh, definitely worth your time if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, it helps me pay the bills. So go check that out. Um, And uh, I'll have another one soon. And uh, if you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on both Twitter and Instagram. You can talk to me about uh, any of the stuff we discussed today or, you know, anything from the world of comics or video games that you feel like uh, throwing my way. I'd be happy to chat with you about. And uh, if you want to catch more of me here, you can get me on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, along with Sean, which posts the day after this on audio platforms and Fridays on YouTube. Uh, you can also catch me and Marco on this week's returning episode of The uh, the Riverdale Review, which we had uh, our dear friend Olivia Hicks on. It was a great episode, great time. It was great. Yeah, it was all about the musical episode, which we liked a lot more than we thought we were going to. Uh, so give, go give that one a shot if you're a fan of Riverdale. And, uh, and then you can catch me and Thompson from the Video Game Pals on our Let's Play show Monday through Thursday, Pals Play. This week we will be playing God of War. Uh, it is a doozy. This game is tight. Go check it out. Let us know what you're thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Awesome, Kill. Uh, this week I will also be on, uh, the Video Game Pals in place of Sean. So, uh, listen to me there. Um, I also have a really exciting announcement. Um, drumroll. Uh, Common Rider Amazons is going is released on Amazon Prime. So uh, if you <laughs> have ever heard me, on, oh. no, this is this is huge for real. Uh, for reasons I can't talk about on the air. Uh, if you uh, are a fan of Power Rangers in any sense, in any sense, Common uh, Rider is uh, a show for you. Um, Kamen Rider Amazons is sort of a horror bent on the uh, tokusatsu uh, genre. Um, it's not representative of Kamen Rider as a whole, uh, but it is. It's very good. It's very. Uh, it's very sort of mature. Um, anyway, it's uh, out in the U.S. Uh, on streaming on a major platform. Uh, this is big. Uh, you can find my uh, comics on uh, selfie.com slash panels publishing. You can find From the Deep on Comixology under panels publishing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Marco? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. I am also the official mod over at the official Longbox Podcast subreddit. You're so smug and proud of that. Like I hate, I hate our you. tentacle, our tentacle gangs. Like maybe we should ask Tyler to do ours. Like, <laughs> no, I'm gonna do mine. We're, we're gonna get. We're eventually. I'm. I'm. We're eventually gonna get a. Uh, hey, Thomas you're Powell's fired. Sub- like, but <laughs> it, it's in the pro. It, in progress. So speaking of the Longbox, uh. I did want to say uh, happy 100 episodes oh, right. to, oh, that's right. to Tyler. <laughs> it's been it's been good to listen to you talk about comics, Tyler. But Matt, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Matt, I have some words for you. Uh, you know, you, you've said a lot of things. You've said a lot of negative things about us um, over the you know period of time that we've been doing this, and most recently. You mentioned that um, you know you've had to correct us a few times. Had to correct and, us. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, really interesting. And I just wanted <laughs> to say that people would correct you too if anybody listened to your show. And I hope that you enjoy another hundred episodes of doing a show for yourself. Oh God, the shade. <laughs> oh. You can find You can find Phil on Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. That's C Y B O R G B E B O P. Beautiful. And as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox, where we can talk about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what it means to you. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. See you next week. Man, our our technical gang is going to be blowing up. <laughs> tweet, tweet Sean about putting the long box on blast. Jeez. <laughs>